going to be completely understood by, um, I had, say, a guy who also speaks Jual from Sajene. Oh, like yeah. there's a lot of regional variation. Or from New Brunswick. Oh, yeah. Akakane. Or from or Gatsby. Le- the guy from- who speaks Gatsby Z. Oh, yeah. Is, forget it. But nobody yeah. in Quebec understands Gatsby Z. Right. So it's, it's like the Newfoundland of Yeah, Quebec. it's it's so, there's, there's a lot of variation in there. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying as a kind of a, as a Canadian, I always thought that we should have been teaching Canadian French. Um, but I suspect that the reason why, particularly in Western Canada, that we embraced metropolitan French so much was pushback against the mandatory nature of bilingualism in the 1970s. So? Absolutely. My, my impression is it's just like, it's, it's like when you learn English, you're learning the Queen's English, technically. Well, it depends. Right? It depends. That's, that, that's kind of the model. Some that, countries the background prefer that, teach American English. <clears throat> But it's it's all the same thing, right? The same grammar rules are Gen- there for all of them, aside from you know the letter spelling, U and spelling changes, yeah, um, you yeah, know, and the, the order of R and yeah. E in certain words, right? But the, the Within, basics yeah, are all with there. Formal proper English, the grammar right. does not change until you get into dialect. Then grammar changes yeah. massively. But that's the same with every language in the world. Exactly, yeah. and that was going to be my point. Having experienced yeah. both, my experience yeah. learning French uh, originally in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And my experience of learning French in Ottawa, in Ottawa, with metropolitan French, were no different, yeah. Yeah. right? It was it. It really just came down to the mm-hmm. accent, yeah, right. Still does, mm-hmm. right? Now, if if I do speak French, I've got this pretentious fucking Parisian accent. Qu'est-ce que um, tu fais ici, as compared to qu'est-ce que tu fais ici, table je parle comme ça, quoi. You know. Anyways, ah, so I was listening to the radio yesterday, and they were talking about how they were they were comparing the youth of today, and it was mm-hmm. stats coming out of the U.S. and the U.K. Mm-hmm. compared to the youth of the '60s and '70s mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. sexual revolution, mm-hmm. and it was basically the comparison of okay, so nowadays sexuality is everywhere, yeah, online, yep. right, yeah, and yep. it's and it's just infused everywhere. Mm-hmm. It, and so, <clears throat> in a lot of ways, the youth are, the youth of today are, are completely sexualized, mm-hmm. right? But the interesting stat was, you know, back in, say, 1970, late 70s, mm-hmm. uh, out of the UK and the US, the stats are that people lost their virginity yeah, in high school. Yeah, I read school, that as well. That it's right? the age of, of first uh, sexual activity yeah. is getting pushed later and later. Yeah. So, that back then, I mean, I, I can't remember that, I didn't catch the stat, but it, <clears throat> the way the conversation went, it was significantly higher back in mm-hmm. the days of the sexual revolution. Yeah. People had lost their virginity in high school, uh, yeah, or, or university. Yeah, you know, probably somewhere upwards of seventy yeah. percent. Nowadays, it's forty percent. Yeah, right. Um, which you know fits this graph that I'm looking at right now. Very interesting because the people from the sexual revolution would be on that bottom line there in the 65 plus. Yes, yes, it would. Right? Yeah. The, the, and the whereas today's are all up there. So again, it's who are you hooking up with? Well, for the 65 and olders, when they, they were hooking up, they were hooking up with strangers. Well, yeah. And like they met, I remember a, a, a comment from a, a film, a movie about where a guy made a comment about the 1970s. 
where the characters said that, you know, the 1970s was a decade where the, he's, spe- and he's speaking of signals culture and the sexual revolution. So where the entire country had the morality of two dogs in a park. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the age before Me Too. It was the age of uh, the workplace was a place you went to meet the opposite sex. Mm. I remember in junior high, I was in grade seven. So definitely in the 80s, mm-hmm. mid to early 80s. I remember, again, this is just, you know, when you look at the lexicon, how much our culture has changed. I remember the social studies teacher explaining our work experience program that they had just brought in and this was going to be a trial balloon and we were going to do it for the first time and he was trying to pitch it to the kids. Where, okay, you know, you go off into a workplace and you're, you're going to work in the administrative capacity for some credit, like one or two days a week. And he said, part of this training is that you're going to have to dress in a professional manner. You're going to have to wear office, like business kind of clothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not lying to you. This was straight up dead serious part of the conversation that part of their education was that the girls were going to have to learn to be how, how to be hit on. And that they're going to be, these teenage girls are going to be dressing professionally. It will not be immediately apparent to their male co-workers that they are actually 16 and say not 22. Mm-hmm. And the language he used, you're going to love how archaic this is, is someone's going to make a pass at them. And they're going to have to learn how to take a pass. When was the last time you heard that phrase? Well, I never heard it because... Oh, well, <clears throat> I mean, it, it was... Because I'm a guy. It right? was common in the 1980s. Like, you know, like you remember... I'm oh, sure no, I, I'm not saying I doubt yeah. you. I'm just saying I never heard it and just because I was a guy. But. Within the last 10 years, like it's... It's just dropped out of the lexicon completely. If I went to a 21-year-old and I said, hey, has anyone ever, you know, has anyone ever taken a pass at you? She'd probably say, no, I, I don't play tackle football. You know, like it's, you know, I, no, I don't play sports. You know, like it'd be completely contextually unknown. But the fact that my social studies teacher oh, yeah. in like 1984 believed uh, in good, good faith that this is a part of your necessary education is learning how to deal with sexual harassment says something about how dating was done at the time. You, you, the singles bar. Yeah. You went to a bar for the purpose of picking someone up or being picked up. Mm-hmm. It was a singles mixer in the, it kind of replaced the, the dance, the community dance of the 1950s and 60s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was very common that you went to a place where singles were going to be. And that's where you met. We've removed that from our society now. Well, I, I think if we go down that rabbit hole, we, we've removed and, and we've altered the context around a lot of those things. So where I oh, was, totally. Yeah, where totally. I was first going to, when you first brought this up, where my mind went was, in a lot of ways, since schooling is considered mm-hmm. uh, on top of the educational side of things, it's also uh, social conditioning. It's, it's yes. learning how to interact with yes. others. Yep. It's, it's creating its own mini society. And it's, okay, this is how you learn how to behave in society, mm-hmm. in larger groups. Yes. Right? Including, so socialization, we're talking about friends. Yep. And once you get to junior high and high school. I would say this is the only function of public education. 
Like, it should be, but it kind of is. That's the only real thing that kids are learning now in K-12 is socialization, how to interact with peers, how to get along with people, how to conflict resolve. These important social questions. Absolutely, it's essential. Well, I, I don't think they're even learning that well anymore mm. anyways. But by extension, since you're learning those things, the, the, the social aspect in school, mm-hmm. including by junior high and, and high school, the the courtship rituals and all, yep. you know, all yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and all of that's still setting you up for adulthood and the workplace. It's it's not all that surprising. Like to me, this is I'm not tying this together with what you said. This is just I think a, a natural expectation. Like you get mm-hmm. out there, and there becomes the possibility of courtship. Yeah, and that the exposure to the opposite sex or whoever is, yeah. you know, whoever takes your fancy, right? Um, and so certainly, you know, sexual harassment. Has rightfully been yes yeah been, no one's defending that been brought yeah. to bear yeah right but it's you know it, it's I just find it remarkable about how much society put up with back then like it's remarkable that it took so long to make these changes oh I mean if we talk to our mothers we just oh yeah or, or just remember oh yeah our, the behavior around us or some even, of the behavior we had even our peer group yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah when I talk to women in my uh, age cohort. Some of the stuff that they put up with yeah. in the earlier years just absolutely well blows me away. Like for me, the thing is like when I started to realize, hey, I don't know, there's when you because when you're a young guy, like every every woman you meet, it doesn't matter the context, mm-hmm. is a potential yes, romantic yes. interest. And yes. at some point, yep. you realize, oh shit, I'm a forty something bald fat guy. Nobody fucking. Yep. I, I remember having this discussion. Technically, scientifically, theoretically, yeah. the statement still holds true that that person is a potential sexual partner. Yes, but right? y- you know what he means, though. Like when, yeah. when we're in our 20s, every gal you lay your eyes upon, yeah. there's an instant switch that goes in your head in the first three seconds. Yes or no? Mm. Could I? Or... Couldn't I? Or like, would I or would I not? Yeah. And then you you arrange your behavior based on that decision. Yeah, yeah. Is this someone who I am initially, like I make that decision in the first, say, three seconds. Do I find this person attractive? And that will uh, influence my behavior. Will I be flirty? Will I be try to be make myself more interesting? Will I be more engaging? Yeah. If the decision is no... I don't find this person attractive. Then it's about the transaction. Mm-hmm. It's about the objective of why you're there. This is what I need. This is what I want. I'm going to seek to get that, and then I'm going to leave. Yeah. But but I think Dog, what are you doing? But I think the, the assumption on the guy's no, perspective was always that the guy were, that you were attracted. Oh yeah, well, right? I mean, like, like <laughs> that it wasn't a question of whether she was a yes or no. Or I mean, there was always that question. They keep trying to walk in front of me. I don't, I don't know, know why. They, they, that's. Yeah. For the for the people listening, we got a couple of dogs as, as our special guests, and they're annoying the hell out of me. The podcast has gone to the dogs. Yeah, the podcast has gone to the dogs. I mean, you're right. As a guy, especially back in those days, right? Right. Mm-hmm. At that age, yeah. In those days, yeah. Uh, I think it. Well, I can't speak for those who identify as men these days, mm-hmm. or as males these days. But 
as as kind of a humorous philosophical aside, someone came up with recently, and it fits exactly into mm-hmm. what you just said: yes or no. Yeah. Right. There was a it came out. What I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names, right? But it's like this whole bullshit of 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 rating sexual partners in terms of looks on on, on a one to ten scale. Mm-hmm. Absolute bullshit. It's completely binary: zeros and ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, direction. Yeah, yeah that's and when you boil it down. There's, there's another podcast yeah. I listen to. Um, when you boil it down, uh, called the Red Scare. Yeah, and there's a couple of they're conservative-ish chicks. Yeah, and, but when they talk about guys, it's completely about it's zero or one. Yeah, in the binary. zero to one. Yeah, zero to one. Yeah, and, that, and that's what they call it. They literally call it the binary. Yeah, it's yeah. Would, I get would it. you win you? <laughs> Mind you, I think there's. Um, yeah, and that makes sense when you look at at other um, stats that we're seeing today. Uh, the one good thing about internet dating and dating apps is it has been a treasure trove of data for social scientists. Oh, no doubt. Whereas in the past, when we wanted to know about people's sexual behavior, we had to rely on self-reporting. Mm-hmm. We had to ask them, what do you do? What do you prefer? What, you know, what is your, your ambition? And we had to hope they were telling us the truth. And they almost never were. When it comes to that kind of intimate behavior, people tell what I call aspirational lies. I don't, if you ask me, um, what kind of women uh, am I attracted to? I'm probably not going to tell you the truth. I am going to tell you what I think my peer group would want me to answer. Or the people I admire and respect, I'm trying to imagine what would they want me to find attractive, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm going to say. And then who I actually pursue in my off time is a completely different matter. And uh, dating apps have allowed us to cleave away that aspirational untruth and get to the reality of it. We can actually see what body types, male and female, get the most messages. We can actually see what kind of personality traits based on what you put in your profile, this sort of thing. We can actually measure these things now. And it's, yeah, it's completely revolutionized our understanding of human dating behavior because we're getting away from the people saying, you know, I guess the answer is we're getting what they actually do not what they say they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a huge difference. Well, I would say, from what I know of the dating sites, he says, you know, I guess, what is it? Tinder is the, the big one. The big one, I believe. Now, that's the where you swipe yeah. left, swipe yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I compare yeah, that. It's literally the binary. Yeah. Right? So, what, and, and that's based purely on a picture, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, purely. I, I compare but, that but to. Can I throw this at you? Is not the single singles bar based purely on a picture? Yes. I'm gonna. I'm gonna argue no. and all that stuff, right? Yeah, like I'm, you're choosing who to approach purely on their physical appearance. There's another aspect to that, and and this is something I've I've learned along the way, and I think we've discussed it mm-hmm. in, in another context before. Um, it's not just looks. It's not. It's approachability. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, but again, so, looks dictates your initial interest. That's true. Yeah. But part of what can play so into I, this... So I don't think Tinder is that artificial. It's artificial, but not but, extremely Well, so. bear with me here. Man, we're, we're all over the place here. But, you know, to me, mm-hmm. 
You're right to a certain extent, yeah. but I'm, I compare it to so when my wife and I split up back in '06, right? Mm-hmm. Within a year, I was on back on yeah. In I was dating, I was on a whole scene. bunch of dating sites, right? Yeah, and they were not like this, right? Mm-hmm. To me, this is quote unquote too easy, right? Because it's like you swipe left to swipe swipe right. Yeah. My understanding. And if someone swipes you in the right. agreeable then, way, then you're notified, and then and you, then you can actually then, send a message, and the, and then and then you either say yes or no, yeah, right. And so it, it's like twenty five percent of the time, the these two people are going to agree, right, right. Well, that's pretty generous, but right. Well, one says yes, the other one says yes. Right. Yeah, so but there's, I think... there's there's four possible outcomes. There's yes, yes. Oh no, yeah. No. Okay, I thought you, I thought yes, you meant that 25 no, no, percent yes, right. of the people you swipe on are your swipe back. And I think no. the only the only ones you can message like, are the ones that are yes, yes. I believe so. Yes. Think there's no yeah. yes, no's. Like well, yes, yeah. one that says yes on you, and you said no on them. Then yeah, exactly. Yeah, I believe that's how it works. Now the same thing used to play out, you know, and it took a while. Like, actually, I actually found online dating was very, uh, quote unquote, good for me to mm-hmm. to be able to learn how to interact from a distance mm-hmm. right and so the profiles yes you would see a picture but th- th- that picture would not necessarily be uh an outrageously attractive one there mm-hmm. was no filtering back then it was whatever mm-hmm. snapshots people had to yeah. download and upload yeah. um and you would you would read their profile and mm-hmm. depending on how their profile was written uh, and what they said in it, mm-hmm. it they they could be interesting right mm-hmm. and the photo might not do that justice right and then right. And then you would, you know, you'd get notifications. Someone had looked at yours, or they would get inf- notification. You would look, you would look at theirs. Sometimes you, and so you, you, so you send a message, and sometimes they would respond. Sometimes they wouldn't. Yeah. Right. Um, sometimes, and it would depend entirely on, okay, what are they saying here? How are they saying it? So, yeah. so you could be flirtatious, or you could, just, yeah, uh, try and read not, between the lines. Yeah. Right. You, you could make a smart ass comment. Yeah guardedly um, flirtatious yep right you know so so for instance i was on plenty of fish one woman her profile name she had written in pfo 101 instead of okay. pof 101 was, oh, okay. her, was her nickname okay right? and I, I just sent to her 101st attempt at plenty of fish oh i i i, I <laughs> joke like like or she told 100 101 guys to please fuck off yeah exactly <laughs> yeah there you go so yeah, i teased yeah. her about the pfo yeah yeah right and yeah. so that generated that conversation, conversation right you know my other aspect about the response to what you were saying is it's it's not just the way a person looks. Part of the way a person looks um, is going to be the way they dress. Yeah. Right? Are they wearing something that's appropriate yep. to their body size? Yes. Right? Yes. There's facial expression. Yes. There's yes. tone of voice. There's body language. Absolutely. All these things. Before, right? no one walked into the bar yeah. and just, boom, I'm going to hit on her. I mean, guys did, but yeah. by and large... You went into the bar, you read the room for a little bit. Yeah. You had a drink, you're there with your buddies, and while you're talking to guys, you're looking around the dance floor, you see someone, okay, she's attractive. Mm-hmm. So now, okay, boom, the binary kicks in. I find her attractive. Now I'm going to observe her for a little bit. How does she interact with her friends? What is she wearing? What are her facial expressions? Does she smile a lot? Does she seem um energetic charismatic a happy person or does she seem sullen or you know crabby does she look kind of down you know you're making all of these assessments Mm -hmm. that you can't on tinder yeah that you know you can't with a with a snapshot photo on a dating app yeah so yeah there is that to it and then uh, maybe 
before you actually go and try and chat her up, um, and this is not universally acceptable to the bar scene, it depends what bar you're in and what time period, you could ask her to dance. And then this, if she just dances with you, then you get an idea of, is she amenable to, you'll know by the end of the dance. Oh yeah. Do you go buy her a drink? Do you go with, go back to the bar with her and begin a conversation? Or is it, mm, okay, she's clearly not interested in me. She danced with me out of, out of courtesy. Or maybe she was potentially interested in me, but now by the end of the dance, she's decided no. Mm-hmm. Like she needed a little bit more time to make that binary. Because your, yeah. your moves were just not sick enough. Could be. Could be. Or yeah, that maybe yeah. I wasn't a good enough dancer. What she vibe, like what energy breath. was she getting off yeah. of you? Mm-hmm. Right? You know. Charlie um, is going to win the prize for the most annoying dog I've ever met. He is. Because I can tell you this much. You know, and, and this isn't to brag, right? Because some of it at least is not brag. Yeah. Um, you know, but a lot of women considered me very good looking. Yeah. Like very good looking. And you're tall. Back in the day, and right? Tall helps. So tall I would go. A lot. Yeah. I would go to uh, Barry T's Club Malibu, mm-hmm. uh, Goose Loonies. Wow! Right? So and I would <laughs> rolling go, I would, back to years. Yeah, I would go there on my own. Uh huh. And uh, I was in my mod phase back in the day, right? So, I, so all of you who jam Quadrophenia fans. Yeah. So you wear right. a suit and you wore a so, suit with a whole whack of mirrors on? I, I had found this <laughs> 60s suit that was tailor made. It was pinstripe, narrow lapels, uh, and, and a narrow tie. Obviously, the same old man who had yeah. owned these things had dropped them off at Valley Village the, yeah. the same day, right? Yeah. I bought this fucking thing. And then I had. This whole ensemble. I had a, a Canadian uh, anorak mm-hmm. that I took the liner out of. Um, and, and I wore that. And I, yeah. and I would go to Goose, and then I'd, I'd have to check the coat, which was probably a good thing. So you don't yeah. want to have this army jacket while you're on yeah. the dance floor, right? And, you know, I got lots of looks. Yeah. No one ever approached me. Mm-hmm. And I was too shit scared to go yeah. approach anyone else. And, right? and that was, I guess, the way it was done at the time. It was not really considered acceptable for a girl to approach you. Yeah. The best she could do is look at you a lot and try and make eye contact with you. Yeah. To say, okay, yeah. she's approachable. And you know, then like if she's looking at you, yeah. she's kind of saying, dude, I'm and if you I would like you to come over. If you didn't, yeah. then she took it as a saying I eventually she stopped paying attention. Because yeah, she right? figures he's not interested right. in me. Yeah. I'm not going to keep trying to make eye contact with him. Yeah. He's not he's not picking up when I'm laying down. Yeah. I'll find my option B. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it all depended on you having enough courage to to make that to make that step, you know. Only one, no, twice, twice actually I was approached. Once was by the woman who was interested. Her mm-hmm. friend came to talk to me to kind of yeah. scope me out and say, oh, and, and okay, he's approachable. She's and then, the and then she eventually came yeah, over. She's doing the recce. She did the recce. God bless her. That's a good one. <laughs> the other yeah. time was this bombshell. I mean, she was mm-hmm. like she was. Uh, Dressed like Madonna. She was done up. This was 86. Mm-hmm. She was done up like Madonna in her Marilyn oh, Monroe yeah. face. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I was just hanging out, just do, 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 do. And, yep. and she just comes up, grabs my, grabs my hands. Hey, gorgeous. Let's go dance. Right. Yep. She just drags me out of the dance floor. I'm like, okay. I can yep. live with this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Turns out she'd had a fight with her boyfriend. Ah. Uh, right. So, yeah. you know, that's, it doesn't quite count. But. Yeah. It doesn't quite count. I mean, it's, it's, it's style points. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't quite count. What is bothering him now? Her. 
her. Yeah, he doesn't know. Interesting anecdote to that. So the next summer, summer of 87, this was 86. We mm-hmm. went on one date. I absolutely failed. Yeah. Um, other sidebar, this, this woman told me on this date. She was from Ardrossan. She'd never been farther from home than Leduc. Wow. And I was like, you know, I, this is '88, you said '86, '86, right? And and wow. I, you know, you know, '84, I traveled Europe. Yeah, with my buddy, right? You know, in you know, early '70s, I'd lived in England. How old was she? Uh, I mean, she's 16. Okay, I get it. Well, no, she was. I mean, okay, I would have been. This was '86. But if she's in her 20s, I would have been 20. She, yeah, she would have been 20. Yeah, well, I she mean, was about the same like, age as me. Like, have so, you never gone on summer vacation? Good God, girl. So the next summer, mm-hmm. I'm down in... I'm living in Maple Ridge, uh, BC. Mm-hmm. So just outside of Mission. Right? Yeah. And the local place, uh, the local bar is having uh, a casino night. So mm-hmm. I show up for that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I showed up. Uh, I don't think I was wearing my suit, but I was wearing my anorak. So yep. I was identifiable, yep. right? Yeah. And just prior to the casino night... They mm-hmm. had strippers, mm-hmm. right? And Male or female? Female. Okay. And so I show up. I'm, I'm in the crowd. And the woman up there dancing is, is, that, a, yeah. is a woman named Amanda. Okay. And this girl was named Amanda. Looked just like Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. Uh, looked just like Madonna in a Marilyn Monroe okay. face. Um, they were playing the song Amanda for her to dance to. Ah, uh, okay. Right, and I was like, I've always wondered if that was her because, and when, oh yeah, because it looked like her. Eh? She was the last stripper of the night mm-hmm. before the casino started, and she, I, I, you know, dumbass that I was, mm-hmm. I, I was just like, hey, is that you? You know, because I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but she just barged right past me, did not look me in the oh, eyes, yeah. right? Like she just got right off that floor, and anyways, you know, on this point. I remember as a younger man in uh, just starting my working, my working life, right? Getting into the workplace. And so, of course, I'm in entry-level positions, and I'm learning from guys who are 10 to 15 years older than me. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely guys in that baby boomer, the late baby boomers kind of thing. Guys who would be in their late 60s now. So I'm in uh, like 21, 22, so they're going to be 35, 36, 37. And... Listening to the conversations as they're talking about, you know, those who were on the dating market or whatever, that this was a coup if you dated a stripper. <laughs> you know, like, did you guys, yeah, like, that was a coup. That was like, oh, yeah, like, uh, I, was, I was dating her. Like, I met this girl. I was dating her for a little while. And she had an amazing body. She was a stripper or whatever. I would not date a stripper if you paid me. It's like, how can I find the most emotionally damaged, batshit, crazy, schizophrenic woman with daddy issues on the planet? Let's go to the Peeler Bar. Like, what a nightmare. Oh, God. Well, okay, full disclosure, I had a job, um, a part-time job, driving limousine. Okay. And um, interesting gig, I had to work with a lot of strippers. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I, I had it was a big bus limousine, mm-hmm. so you're getting strippers. You're taking guys, uh, or you're taking parties to strip bars, male and female. It was probably sixty percent females going to male strippers, and then you're getting strippers performing on the bus. Mm-hmm. Oh my 
God, these, these, oh, I just found them to be the most annoying, conceited, damaged, batshit crazy people. The strippers. The strip, the female strippers. Like, oh my God, I do not know why you would possibly want to date one of them. And they're not that good looking. They're not. Like, they're living hard. And when you get within five feet of them, it shows. Like, they are not. Like, I don't think they're good. Sorry. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm my perception, and I will, uh, I will say this, if I like a person, I will find her more physically attractive, regardless of whatever physical flaws she may have. Like, there, there have been women I have worked with who I thought were stunningly beautiful, who will never make the cover of Maxim magazine, but I'm, I admit I'm influenced because I like them as people. I thought they were awesome. Well, again, that that yeah, and you don't get that, that plays you don't get thing. that you don't get that from a, a dating app. But these strippers, oh my god, I I just you know I never understood that about the guys older than me, how they thought that that was some kind of positive, that selling feature. If you're bragging to your friends, like yeah, I dated a stripper. If one of you guys said to me, like, yeah, I'm dating a stripper, I'd say, like, dude, man, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way. Like, I'd be feeling sorry for you. I yeah. wouldn't be. I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, mm. that's, that's good for you. No. I'd say, dude, you can do better than that. Treasure <clears throat> yourself, man. It's like, you guys watch The Last Kingdom? Uh, no. No? The, 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 the series on Netflix, uh, The no. Last Kingdom? No. What's it oh. about? Oh, it's, it's about a guy who's, who's a Saxon, uh, but as a child, he's... Oh, the raised city. by the Vikings. Raised by the Vikings, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and so he's he's he loves the Danes. They're they're mm-hmm. a lot funner. He he loves the, the their gods and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. but eventually he gets this band of guys who yeah. follow him around. He's yeah. their leader and stuff. Like that. And one of the guys, Citric, is uh, he falls in love with a local prostitute, mm-hmm. and, and everyone's teasing him about it all the time. This was, is kind of a common trope. Like, wasn't there wasn't that a thing in uh, the Lord of the or not the Lord of the Rings? In, Definitely not in the Lord of the not Rings. Not in the Lord of the Rings. Um, Game of Thrones. You know what? Was I, have only, the... I have only ever watched one episode, the first episode mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen it either. I've seen, I know the entire story mm-hmm. because I've just seen about 500 YouTube clips of it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of figured, it was kind of like, for me, it was Cole's Notes. I don't have, nowadays, I don't have the attention span to sit through like an hour of television. Like I just don't. I get fidgety. I, I need to get up. I need to move. No. Okay. So, and of course, uh, my friends don't like this. So I don't watch shows like that. Mm. I have to go on YouTube and just start watching clips. So I'll like when people are talking about it at work, I can follow the storyline. But I remember, yeah, that was one of the, one of the dudes from the, the Northern family there, the Starks or the Starks, whatever. Yeah. yeah. They had a guy who was in love with, uh, with, uh, with the local prostitute. No, I, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm sure it's. Been I, I think this is a pretty uh, common. Yeah, it's been in a well, few. In every story in, in that of, a in prostitute Game of Thro- in Game of Thrones, um, uh, it was actually uh, the most frequenter mm. of prostitutes was Tyrion Lannister. It was the midget. Right. Yeah, pardon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pardon yeah. me, little person. Yeah, 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 played, yeah, yeah. Played by Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So he was always. He if was always. If you're trying to find yeah. Tyrion, your first place you yeah. look was the local brothel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but so, he never fell in love with any of them. Or did he? He fell in love with one. Oh, and his father killed her. No, and that's why he no, killed no, no. The he killed her after she shacked up with his father. Ah, it got you. really weird. Yeah, that, yeah, it got really weird. Yeah, I guess it. Oh, uh, and Titus Pullo did in Rome as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Times, yeah. So uh, this is a pretty, I'd say, in just about every film and major piece of work in the last 300 years of a prostitute is a major character. There's going to be some tragic love story of a guy, of an unrequited love of some, the, the nice guy fool who falls in love with her. And, and she just doesn't have the emotional capacity for nope, she don't. love. She don't. She's, Point of order. She's Are we a recording? girl. Mm-hmm. So this is, is this our episode, or is this going to be one of those other episodes? The lost episodes. It, well, today, I think we're doing a clip episode regardless, so. Okay. <laughs> okay. All, right. All right. Well, hopefully we haven't said anything outrageous. I yeah. don't think we have. But, you know, well, back, not as outrageous as the last time we talked yeah. about this. And <laughs> back, uh, back to this uh, business of uh, people, you know, like Gen X or Gen Zers dating their friends. That makes sense, because we live in a, in, in a world where it's not acceptable Go hit on a stranger. It's not socially acceptable. That's true. So, well, it's yeah, it, it's definitely yeah. off-putting. Like I would not want to be dating. Oh, uh, I would as, want to be dating. As, you, you, as you a young to, person, you have to do so days. much throat clearing on the introduction. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, my understanding for Gen Z is that um, if you did approach them, say in a bar, which is one of the few places where it is still socially acceptable to do so, yeah, that. Um, like we talk about this, this, certain things haven't changed. Guy looks at girl, makes that instant binary decision. Do I approach or not approach? Observes for a little while, tries to get characteristics, ideas, personality. Okay, yeah, she's worth actually talking to. Maybe he asks her to dance, whatever. But the conversation is immediately, okay, here's where you can find me on social media, on mm-hmm. IM, Tinder, whatever. And then it terminates. Because then he has to give her time to decide whether or not to contact him offline. Or not offline. Online. Online. Yeah. And that's where the real conversation takes place because it's, pr- it's private and it's just them with no other, no other distractions. That it would be considered a so- socially inappropriate for him to really move. Hey, man, let's go on a date. It's like, no, you don't even know her yet. She doesn't even know you yet. She's not going to go anywhere with you. So you, you can do a conversation, but it's at a superficial level. You have to provide her with your internet credentials. And so then when she gets to look at you on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, uh, you know, like whatever social media platforms you're on, and then she will decide whether or not she wants to, to go further with you. So it's it's... The internet is a filtering device. So yeah. if you're in a friendship group, say you have a social circle of 10 or 12 people that's co-ed, this friendship group is your audition as a guy. Yeah, It's an audition phase. And then, I mean, let's all face it. I mean, this is, this is the, the stereotypical friend zone. Guy becomes friends with a girl when he doesn't want to be friends at all. What he's hoping is that by proving his bona fides of character and personality, she will decide that, yeah, you know what? This guy's a quality guy. I will decide to date him romantically. When that was his intention all along. Or was it? I mean, I, I can't speak for these guys. Oh, usually. Well, I think it is. I think it is. I, think I don't maybe, think that's maybe, changed for maybe, a long time. Yeah, because actually the next paragraph of this piece talks a little bit about the friend zone. And how yeah. maybe you're not going to get stuck in the friend zone, but I think I think it's more not so much ah, guys yes. getting themselves in the friends friend zone is just being in the peer group, right? You get a peer group of guys and girls, yeah, and and yeah, and, and that then dating happens group. with it, but you weren't necessarily like you know 
following this this puppy dog and this chick around or anything. I like think that. I think a lot of that is it. Maybe, maybe that still a lot of being dogs. in that social circle is your audition. Yeah, it's but your it, and and if you're not if you're striking out, like let's say it's a group of uh, four men, four women. And you join into that and you find, let's say you were particularly attracted to one, uh, to girl A, and somewhat attracted to girl B, C and D, they were just genuine friends too. You weren't really interested in them. And so then, you know, you're part of that friend group, say for a semester. And then you find that, okay, girl A has no interest in me. Girl B has no interest in me. I have, you know, like you look for the social clues or the cues that suggest that there may be some reciprocal interest or reciprocal attraction in there. If you don't find them, you move on, you fade away from that social group and you find a new social group and move into that. And I think I'm, I'm going to, I don't know this for a fact. I'm gleaning this from what I read of popular culture and my discussions with, uh, uh, you know, like younger people who I interact with in various stages or in various uh, uh, contexts, various forms. That's my suspicion as to, to how, things, how things are working in that. The friend zone is a kind of a different matter. Although this, this is, uh, there's a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram, you know, between being in the friend zone, which is a more unique one-on-one thing, and being in a friend group, and then eventually dating someone in your friend group. Not but the same... Similar. Yeah, because because the common the common trope is that if you're in the friend zone and that one yeah. in the friend zone, you're never gonna move to a yeah being a romantic yeah exactly partner. that is what defines the friend zone. Yeah, she will never accept you as a partner, and it's, it's a, a matter of a guy. But and I think that was the same when we were that age. Yeah, no, it's just that there was no term for it. I, I am curious, like if if this is because uh, like there was another uh, survey talked about. Uh, from 2021, 68% mm-hmm. of the people at the, U, at the University of, of Vic, UVic, yeah, were dating people uh, they were friends with. Um, so I'm curious in the long-term data if what what's going to happen if Gen, Gen Z's marriage outcomes are going to be better. Would be interesting. Yeah, or I guess we're going to find out. Right. Or will we? Well, you never know. Or, Maybe well, may not be allowed to answer the question. Or we'll just be dead before the results come. Yeah, that's what that's that <laughs> was kind of my point. Maybe. I think we're not that old. Um. I don't know. I don't even know what Gen Z is. So, like, what age is that? And okay, they're under so, twenty fives right yeah, now. Yeah, I'd say it's the, when are it's they the getting married? Twenty fives. When yeah. are we getting married? And when does that data pool get collected? Right? Because it ain't gonna be in the next five years. Might be. Right. Might be. I think. Well, no. Yeah, I don't see. I don't, and I don't know if the, if the millennial, the, the the X and the millennial trend of, of marrying mm-hmm. later is going to hold for Gen Z or not, right? Like they might, they might go. They seem to be doing some things like old fashioned, so they might get married younger well, as well. I don't. It's been getting married later has been a spectacular failure for the millennials. Yeah, and, 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 there's a lot and of, Gen X, and there's a lot and of Gen X. There's a lot of accomplished married women with families. Yeah, point out it's like you can't have it all. You can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. So you yeah. should have the kids first and get yeah, the family exactly. on the road. There and is then a window. You can do, once, the yeah. ki- once the kids start going to school and you have yeah. that eight hours yeah. a day that you don't have to deal with them, you can start yeah. pursuing careers. Yeah, exactly. Like that. And that that whole delaying of life uh, of those uh, familial and reproductive uh, goals for the sake of career and education has proven to be a spectacular disaster and heartache for for Gen or Gen or for the millennials. J- just an spectacular. FYI, Charlie will lick your hand for about the next half hour if you let him. <laughs> All right. Something out of the stage that he wants. Yeah. 
<laughs> so like that nicotine, huh? Yeah, like that nicotine. Yeah. That so that's uh, that. It wouldn't surprise me if Gen Z sees that in their cousins and their older siblings and says, "Nope, I don't want to be that." Like especially the the women of of Gen Z say, "No, I don't want to be that thirty five year old woman who has a, a good career." but desperately wanted children and never never got them. And now it's too late. Do they? I mean, and, and again, I mean, here's the generation gap. Like mm-hmm. so much of what we're talking about. Um, yeah, and I identify as a male, so mm-hmm. uh, I never understood what it's like to be a female anyways, mm-hmm. or those who identify as them. Um, but, you know, nowadays across the board, what holds true? Of all the stuff we've spoken about in the last 10 minutes, I'm kind of like, well, what is friendship these days? What is, you know, what, what is yeah. the, the nature of it? Yeah. What is the, the line, quality the of it? The line between romantic and platonic, I, I think, is a bit more blurred now. Yeah, possibly. But, yeah. but even then, it's like, how do they even go about having friends? Do they, do they even have friends? Mm. And the, the youth of today they spend so much time on their phones and I yeah. know it's easy because I spend so much time on my phone oh yeah phone, that right? is something I, I always find ironic is that people our age are so quick to dump on young people oh you guys are always on your phone get all of us together in a restaurant and you watch how there'll be no conversation because everybody's on the phone. Well, actually, you know, I, I think younger, younger people might be more resistant to it because they've grown up with the phone be. and growing up with the tablet. Could be. Right? Like, I, I'm addicted to this fucking thing. Yeah. Like, we, like I'm us, bad. Gen Xers. Oh, yeah, I'm bad. We are just as bad as everybody we criticize. Well, no, I, socially, when I'm with you guys, mm-hmm. you know, like, be it at, let's say, a regimental association dinner or something, my phone's away. Right? Yeah, if, but, I, if I'm out with my mates, you know, generally we're getting together either to drink and chat. We are the outliers. Or we are the outliers. Because like yes, I'll go, maybe. I'll go, I'll go to uh, functions at work. Like we do a lunch work or like a like a lunch meeting or a social thing where they try and say, hey, you know, let's get everyone together and try and do a bit of team building, whatever. Eight people at the table and five of them are on their phones at any one time, mm-hmm. and it almost like we're double tasking. Like we do a, a phone conversation while we're doing a person conversation, and we'll drop between one and the other. Say every minute. Okay, but that's work. Thirty seconds, right? That's that's work. I mean, so how yeah. seriously? You know, that's not "quote unquote" a social thing. That's we a- could go to a restaurant right now. Yeah, and we'll just sit in a booth and we'll watch. And I bet you that holds true. Or we go to a bar. We'll go to like a lounge, and uh, we watch people. Yeah, we'll go to like uh, you know, like yeah, like a place like the keg or chop or something like that. And we'll just sit and we'll watch. And I'll bet you we'll find the same thing. People in Gen Gen X and boomers will be constantly checking their phones. I know I'm on my phone if there's nothing else to do. But Mm -hmm. like I say, if I'm out socially, I'm out socially. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not checking my phone. Unless if if there's some really important email or something I need to keep my finger on the pulse of, I'll check that. Yeah. Right? But otherwise, it's it's put away. I'd say, yeah, but we're the outliers. Uh, We're the outliers. I'm not an outlier. I'm horrible. I, I'm self yeah. I'm horrible. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I'll I say. friends of mine, they had a game. Uh, it was it's like when you went to lunch, mm-hmm. everybody put their phones face yeah. down in the middle, right? And the first person. First guy to grab his phone, phone gets the tab. Gets yep. the bill, yeah. Yep. Well, interesting. Well, I mean, for me, I think there is some validity, validity to our mm-hmm. generation saying you know you talk about your tropes your kids these days mm-hmm. and when i was your age and yeah. stuff like that yeah. i mean oh, bastards. and ironically i'm gonna Keep bring that up music down. i'm Matt gonna bring up 
the yeah. meme that appears on Facebook all the time that talks about when we were kids, mm-hmm. we would, you know, we just fuck off. You know, <laughs> yeah. we'd, we'd, you know, the rule was when the, the streetlights came, yeah, came you on, had to be home. Yeah. You had to be home. Right. Yeah. Uh, otherwise you were just like every kid in the neighborhood was out on their bike and yeah, gone somewhere. Yeah. Right. And drinking out of the water hose. And, yeah. Um, Facebook itself is a meme. Oh yeah. Because Gen Z is not on it. Like they just younger people or Facebook no, is it, now yeah, seen when, as an old, it, an old it is, person's it is, thing. It is an old person's platform. Yeah. yeah. And I was just thinking when you're talking Which must when you're talking Zuckerberg about like, nuts. When you're talking about the online verification, mm-hmm. I'm like, there's there's a reason I could I mean, among many reasons mm-hmm. why I could never date someone younger than me because yeah. Like if you're verifying me for Instagram, my Instagram is literally just pictures of the dog. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah that's all yeah. it is. Yeah, there's there's one there, there's one picture of uh, Moss Saint Michel in France. Yep. And then before I focus on the dog, there's like a melted Twix because it was like yeah, left and <laughs> left and right Twix have evidently resolved their differences. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but other than that, right? Like it's the yeah. dogs. Well, I, there's not even pictures of me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, well, I can't. But by any stretch of the imagination, imagine what it would be like to date anyone under the age of, you know, I'll be generous here, 40 these days. Well, I have read that um, the biggest age gap that the vast, like something like 80% of women, um, and this is what I've read, I don't don't have this hard, that 80% of women said that the biggest age gap that they would consider was 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I have dated at that age gap. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know that it was a 15-year age gap. I was pretty sure it was around 10. But once, you know, I went on a couple of dates, and I did find out that, yeah, it was that big a gap. But I really liked her. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I'm going to see where this goes. Um, I didn't find it hugely difficult to to overcome that uh that uh you know cultural references and such like that Mm. but yeah i think it would be like when i talk to i when i talk to my cousins who are say 15 to 18 years younger than i am then yeah i do notice it in in just casual conversation with them yeah that there are gaps in in primarily in formative experiences like what I'll talk about, say, some of the media I was exposed to in my early teens mm-hmm. or significant events like 9-11 mm-hmm. um, or uh, the the end of the Cold War, the reunification, the yeah. wall coming down in 89 and the reunification of Germany in 91. Yeah. Uh, someone who was, say, even 10 years younger than me, I was in my late teens when that was happening. They were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a profound... Yeah. That's where it really kicks in the experiences that that were profound to me at 40 would have been profound to the, or it happened to them when they were 30 so we we shared the yeah. impact of it it's not a big deal it's the stuff that happens to you i think you know under the age of 18 uh which is formative which is seminal but that's where it's difficult to relate to someone who's more than 10 years younger than you yeah well i mean partly and we touched on this a bit earlier but it's it's um being able to put certain things in context, not just significant events, but the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. So think about the racism mm-hmm. from back in the day. I mean, people, it was, Yeah, people, how casual it was and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it was just, just right? Common, I, I, right? I remember... There wasn't the same awareness. There wasn't the yeah, same Yeah, like, I mean, you could... you could. 
I mean, when we were when we were kids, you could you could drop the N word in a joke. Yes. Well, it and, was. Well, it used and, to be part of the eeny, meeny, money mo. So yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was learning that said, instead of the N word. That said, yeah, but I, I heard it. So. But I'm a few years older. Than you. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. When I was a kid in elementary school, there was two children who were visible minorities mm-hmm. in my entire elementary school, and one of them had only come, uh, say, in in the last two years of it. Like it was a one to six or K mm-hmm. to six. Um, the the one child only arrived midway through our grade five year, so. And uh, there was uh, a game we used to play where we would slide along a patch of ice. You'd take a run and you would try and kind of slide like you were surfing down the entire patch of ice and then jump off before the ice came to an end, say in a fence or a piece of snow or what have you, and not fall down. As soon as you fell down, the shout went up. And of course, it was a cycle. Everyone, as soon as you go down, there's another kid not a meter behind you. Mm-hmm. And it's just long yeah, cycle of people. You get the back of the line. There's as soon as one kid falls down, the shout goes out, nigger pile. And then everyone is trying to land into this wiggling pile of bodies. And it's almost like a mosh pit. Mm-hmm. So that the, the art, the zen of this game was to, as soon as you see that group of kids on the bottom or kids who have fallen down, you run to the beginning of the ice patch, take a good run at it, so you got velocity coming down that ice, body slam like you're coming off the top rope onto this pile of kids and then quickly disentangle yourself and roll off before the next kid lands on you. Because mm-hmm. the kids at the bottom of the pile, inevitably, glasses are broken, oh, yeah. tooth is gone, yeah, like yeah. all of this stuff. Now, we had no concept of what that word meant. Yeah. We had no idea what it was. Yeah. Someone no idea somewhere uttered it the a first time and everyone else just yep. said, okay, that's the thing you say when yep. this to be thing honest, happens, I right? thought it was like a wood pile. Yeah. Because like when you when you know you're working out uh, outside, you know, on the farm and you're cutting firewood for the winter and you just chuck it into a pile, it's just random shapes all thrown together. I assumed that that's what the word meant. That it was some reference to a disorganized, un, like a heap as compared to a stack. Yeah. Because that's kind of how our, our we looked. We looked like, a, like a, a heap of firewood kind of thing. So that's what I thought it meant. I had mm. no idea it was a pejorative aimed at a given identifiable group. So yeah, there, there was, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say there was in a way less racism because there was less opportunity for it in that we were a more monoculture. Oh, yeah. uh, there was fewer visible minorities. I don't, like if you have, uh, and this is what I've seen in small towns uh, and uh, working class neighborhoods that I've lived in. If you have 500 people who are purple skin and you got one guy who's blue skin. All right, what kind of neighborhoods were you living in, man? Between like, between Europe and Canada, like purple skin and blue skin. I don't want to because I've seen. Other I, places, I get it. I'm just being. Yeah, a sh- I'm, I'm just, just being. A sh- like I don't. I'm talking about some minority majority. I'm being a dumbass yeah. that, okay. I, that I've seen like uh, in tough in crowd, man. Tough crowd. Gothenburg. But like, but if you, you, you have one person out of say 500 who is of a diff- different ethnicity, mm-hmm. there's no racism. That person's not a threat. 
Yeah. As soon as you get up to a certain critical mass, and I'll say 30 people out of mm-hmm. 500, then the other 470 start noticing demographic change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they start to feel threatened. Like, well, that neighborhood, that street, when I was a kid, was a place where I felt familiar and I felt like I belonged. Now I go down that street and it's all signs and shops in a language I don't understand, selling products that I don't understand. Uh, Again, I don't feel welcome there. This is my home, but I don't feel welcome in it. And there's a sense of, uh, what was it Weber called it? Alienation or something, enemy or something like that? To feel a sense of dislocation. And mm-hmm. I think that's where, like, you need that critical mass of a minority for real racism to happen. Sort of, but I, I think <clears throat> I, I'm going to disagree with you. And again, because mm-hmm. there is. I, I, I would disagree with you too, because to, to an extent. I'm open to it. Not, not a. I just remember, like, I was just thinking about it because I grew up in Millwoods, which yep. for people who don't come from Edmonton is now has the reputation. Very diverse neighborhood. Yeah. And and has the reputation of largely being South South Asian. Yeah, yeah, Indo Pakistani. Indo Pakistani. Yeah. 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 I remember when the first Indian family mm-hmm. moved on, yeah. onto our street. Yeah. Right. And they had kids who were probably I think the oldest was maybe a year or two younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I was probably I think maybe eight or nine when they mm-hmm. moved in, right? And so we're you know, the kids from the neighborhood were out playing throwing rocks, doing mm-hmm. whatever crap stuff we did and that, and these kids come running out and want to play and we're like oh hey cool okay um they didn't speak much english yeah they had no cultural reference they didn't get yep. the games yeah they and didn't it was just games. like yeah i don't think they ever came out again right like i see them but, but it's just like was it and it wasn't it wasn't wasn't racism like, like yeah discrimination exactly. it, was know, just, you know, it was just you know just a failure to connect it was yeah a fail, yeah, yeah certain, that's not right, racism a failure to connect but yeah. there was and i know as as like a nine-year-old you don't really have the Know that you should make the effort to try it. Because well, you would have the same but, effect if they were Russian. Yeah. True enough. Or, or German who didn't speak Yeah. Who well, don't speak German, English. my mom don't, spoke German, so maybe. Don't have the same cultural references. Don't yeah. understand the childhood games. Yeah. So that's got nothing to do with appearance. That, that's a one of, to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wouldn't... But, yeah, that there's a bit of... You know, I don't know. I, just, I look at I look back, down, back on that period of my childhood. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Jesus should have tried to do better. But sure. I mean, you're fucking nine or but ten. But that's know. that's also presentism. Yeah, you cannot yeah. judge the events of 1982 with the morality of 2023. Yeah. Well, no, you can't. I mean, so and that's why I was going to say. <clears throat> you said 82, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to go back a few years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to uh, let's say 76. Mm-hmm. Okay. 77 right and so we we lived in row housing condominiums mm-hmm. um what city ottawa okay and you know so i'm a young teenager at this point mm-hmm. i'm like 12 maybe 13 and so i had a group of white guys i hung yeah. out with and, and we were mostly in the same uh age group mm-hmm. yeah, within a year um and we it was like a 10 15 minute walk to our mm-hmm. middle school. Um, and one day, I don't know, it must have been lunchtime when we were walking back to school, but coming the other way was one of the fa- a girl our age from our mm-hmm. school who was East Indian, mm-hmm. right? And her family lived one row over where most of our friends lived, most, mm-hmm. most of our mm-hmm. kids. Now, we didn't hang out with them much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew her name. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, she was a classmate. Well, she, was, no, she wasn't a classmate. Well, so a I was in French immersion. A schoolmate, right? I guess. Like, yeah, she was in the school. I mean, there were yeah. you know, yeah. a couple of few hundred kids in this, yeah. this school. Yeah. And, and all the French immersion kids have been in the same right. classification yeah. for since kindergarten. Yeah. You, you tend to be in a cohort. Four, yeah, you tend right? to be in a silo. So I had little to do with her at, mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, nothing to do with her at school. Mm-hmm. But here we are, we're walking. She's walking the other way. And as she goes past, my friends start snickering and they're like, packy, 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 packy under mm-hmm. the breath, right? Mm-hmm. And I was so ashamed, mm-hmm. right? And, and you talk about, you know, like you, Steve, you were saying, like, you, you measure yourself now against mm-hmm. then. And you just kind of like, even then I was kind of wishing, I felt I should have been able to do yeah. something. See, right? and but I there's know, nothing I know that you could have done. Yeah, then I was like, those people are weird, and the, and the other thing is, yeah, is, but that's that's a bit different, right? Was yeah. that was that racism, or was that a projection of adolescent insecurity? Well, I think it's both. Right? I I don't. I think that we as children, uh, children always do that. They always seek to tribalize and. The only way they know how, first of all, all adolescents have tremendous insecurity. Mm-hmm. And as an adolescent and an immature human being, the only way you know how to build your own uh, confidence is to tear down the confidence of someone else around you in the eyes of your peer group. Now, but because of the times that we were living yeah. in, right, yeah. that manifested itself racially. Well, it, it was right. also considered more acceptable to do it. Exactly. And you That's will what I'm use saying. any difference you can perceive. So her complexion was the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. But if uh, it was uh, in an earlier time, mm-hmm. uh, say an earlier generation, if, if she was Protestant and your group was Catholic, oh, yeah. that probably would have manifested. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or uh, if she had red hair and was heavily freckled. That would have that would have been like you know would have been ginger 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 ginger. Um, yeah, but ginger ginger ginger. I, well, I suppose to a ginger, it kind of sucks. But yeah. there's, I mean, I, I don't think there's the the denigration that goes no. With calling someone like I said, ginger. it was the low hanging fruit. Yeah. It was the easiest thing to see. But that sort of thing is what children do all over the world, everywhere, and it's because they are immature and. Um, incredibly flawed people mm-hmm. at that stage of our lives, right? And, you know, I'll bet you money that if we were to bring back every single one who was in that group, oh, yeah, they, they would. the kid who said it would be ashamed. It'd be like one of the worst cringe memories oh, yeah. that an individual probably has. So, again, I am not... I know that the tendency of our age today is to assume that all social problems are a result of racism. That that is the ultimate common denominator that all problems and difficulties come from racism. And I I kind of push back against that because I think again we're just being intellectually lazy when we do that. That's well, the easy button. There's no question that we're being intellectually lazy these days. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, we're not. Well, I guess it's a society. You know, the three yeah. of us are not, yeah. but you know the rest of you fuckers, um, <laughs> lazy assholes. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because that, that is too easy to yeah. say that, right? I mean, one one of the things I was going to say is is based on that same example is, you know, in my lifetime, I, okay, I can't honestly remember when the last lynching was in the mm-hmm. U.S. Right. Mm-hmm. 
but it was probably sometime in the 60s. And I was born mid '60s, so it's, I was you think within it was a few that years. Late? Yeah, well, that, I, I, the, the, movie, the movie Mississippi Burning, which I think took place oh, in 1963, yeah. Yeah. was an FBI yeah. response to a lynching, right? Uh, was that a lynching? Or was that just murder? Like when you're talking about lynching, like get a noose yes. and hang him from a tree. That's yeah. what I think of as lynching. Well, yeah. there was a couple different as compared there was, to there just was a, what was the killing name? the poor kids. What was the name of the? There, there was like a twelve or thirteen year old kid. Yes, and they, there's a monument uh, that's, to it. Uh, Emmett, um, Emmett Emmett Till. Emmett Till. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, they dragged him behind a pickup for like yeah. miles and miles and miles. I guess okay. Let's so, let's so broaden that it to say. Could, could we say that a lynching is killing somebody because of their racial? Identity, yeah. That's, if we say that, then yeah, yeah but we can definitely, broaden it. definitely right? going up. But my my whole point is, definitely. you know, like and and then you know the you know homophobia, yep. that I grew up with, and you yep. guys probably oh, yes. grew up with, yes. right? That went on so, well into the eighties, so even nineties, into the nineties. We are able to yeah. look back and understand, like yeah. current generation, like the woke generation does not. Yeah. Okay. You're looking at these things, mm-hmm. and, we're, and we're going to take the intellectual laziness out of it. Yeah. Right? There's a whole bunch of there's a yeah. whole, that's a whole fucking rabbit hole we yeah. go down, right? But you're only seeing your experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we are prisoners of our own perception. We've experienced, yeah, what racism is like in a way that you mm-hmm. will never understand. Like we've been witness to it. Yeah, like we've, say we've the, the millennials it, and Gen Z never will. We've understood it as a generation in a way mm-hmm. that you never will. Yeah. Right? And we don't understand it the way our parents yeah. did and our grandparents did. And one of the stories, and this is this is one thing I can't remember if I've told you guys if I, I have, I please forgive me. But so my mom's parents, mm-hmm. salt of the earth. Yeah. Nicest people on earth. Yeah. My grandfather, he had a brother, mm-hmm. Uncle Cliff. Yeah. He would show up. We'd see him every Christmas. So yeah. we moved here in 79. Starting in 79, we were down in the lower mainland for Christmas every mm-hmm. year. He was there every Christmas Eve at my at my mom's parents' place. Mm-hmm. Nicest, mellowest mm-hmm. guy. Apparently, he was a bachelor. He had been hurt early in life. Never yeah. got married as a result of that, right? Yeah. Anyways. Quiet as a mouse, just a nice guy, mm-hmm. right? Doing this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. One year, he actually speaks up. So let's tell yeah. him a story about when he was in the, uh, he was in an engineering regiment. He was in a, a forestry section of an engineering regiment mm-hmm. in the Ardennes yeah. in uh, winter 44. Yeah. And he's talking about, and he's, he's describing, so oh, like, this is really cool, right? Again, nicest guy on earth, right? Yeah. And then so-and-so, he was a darkie, don't you know? Mm-hmm. Right, and then he just carries on with his story, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, did he know that, or did he consider Darkie to be a pejorative? Probably not. He did not. Yeah, no. He not, obviously did not. I remember right? that term being used. Yeah, and yeah, it, it was I a time. There was a play term. It was the play term. Yeah, I, yeah, it was a play. I, th- I think it was at yeah, the time. It, yeah, I think it wasn't so necessarily too, but with white to, yeah. to African Americans. Yeah, probably not to them. No, no. To but him, it was the term used in police society as opposed to even yeah. the end bomb. I'm yeah, sure exactly. lots lots exactly. of people would have used it yeah. in a pejorative way. He was I well. I think I yeah. Know that I think was it was kind of meant right? pejoratively because you wouldn't just say because yeah, he would. You couldn't yeah, just say well, he was a black guy or he was a Negro. Yeah, which at the time was also a, a yeah, more Negro, formal yeah, term. Yeah, Negro was the formal. Is that socially acceptable these days? Negro? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I, there's, 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 there's it's, the NAACP it's, it's, still. Yeah. 
But NAACP is National Association of Color or for the events with the color oh. color people. Okay. Color, you're right. Yeah, you're right. But you don't. Oh no, no. no um, sorry, I'm the United Negro College Fund. Yes. Does that still exist? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's that's because the name came from a different age. Right? I guess. I mean, also, a, the other thing is, I think I'm not comfortable with like, using like, it because like, it starts with the letter N. Yeah. And I just I don't want to get into like I, I don't think. It's it's weird. It's in a weird place because there yeah. it does have the relation. I mean, it is the yeah. root. It is the root yeah, of the, the root word. Yeah, the root yeah. of the pejorative. It's yeah. just. I mean, the pejorative is a slang term. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I think people are uncomfortable with that. But I don't. You know, I don't think it has I'm not a comfortable with calling relate. someone a Jew. I, I prefer, but yeah, but even I'm Jews totally will call not comfortable Jews, with that. Yeah, it's, it's I weird. just don't like saying, "Oh, that guy's a Jew." No, I don't. I'll say he's of Jewish faith. Yeah, and I'm or the he's same way. Jewish. He's I don't Jewish. Like, I don't like saying he's a Jew. No, I don't. Yeah. No, no. Uh, that yeah, seems, Jew, Jewish always seems better. That yeah. seems a pejorative to me. I don't want to do that. I agree. Yeah. Well, and and I think again because Negro in common usage mm-hmm. was was a word that comes from a different time mm-hmm. and. So, yeah, that could in, be in too. general. Yeah. It's, it, it it's was was tainted well, by its association that, to that time. Yeah, I think yeah, that's that could that's be, a good way to put it. I like. I, I I'm not even sure whether we can use the word black anymore, right? And 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 sometimes it seems to be okay. Mm. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, I mean, who knows? What I, a, I think what a white it has man to be like a, if you're if you're if you're talking to a black person, they have to be okay with it or something. Like, like if, so yeah. if they say if they if they start using like African American or, or Canadian African Canadian or whatever, yeah. then you just like, you know he's black. You just go with it. Yeah. But if they say yeah. black, then you're yeah. fine with black. I can yeah. tell you this: when when I was purchaser, and this was mm-hmm. this that I was purchaser from 2000, 2009, somewhere in there, I sent out an Excel spreadsheet. Right, and I was I was going to a supplier, and I said, I want you to price out all these things mm-hmm. for me, right? And I, I kept emailing it to this person, and it kept bouncing back, mm-hmm. and, and my the server kept telling me, I can't send this email, can't mm-hmm. send this email. And so the first couple of times I was like, oh, I didn't press send. Yeah. And the second time I'm like, do I have the email going? correct? And, yeah. I, and I'm looking, I'm looking, and and eventually I looked at it and said, so you have a, 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 a an unacceptable word in here, right? So I went through it, mm-hmm. right? This Excel spreadsheet, and it was. Aerosol can, comma, black. Oh, wow. Right? And... What, are you supposed to put obsidian? The... the <laughs> Noir. The... Yeah, the email server had been set up to filter, filter. out that word and, and say that this, this is a bad word. And I was like... Well... Like, and and that, was, that was the beginning of the slippery slope for me, hmm. right? When you talk about, when you talk about context. So mm. I... It, it, so another one, and again, it's it's is it a pejorative? Is it not? Yeah, it's it. The meaning is in the moment. So again, crazy kids when we you know our church youth group, United Church Youth Group, yeah, you know, like not like leading edge, like 1982, not homophobic, like no, not uh, at all. We we no. had like church group or United Church was like United the church. cutting edge of the well, social gospel. And ours yeah. was the cutting yeah. edge of like Southminster Steiner Church. Yeah was the cutting edge of that like our yeah. our pastor was a lesbian yeah right? and she was just pushing for all this stuff yeah right? like so, you were on the bleeding edge of right? social justice so within the christian context a bunch of us well, we had to convoy from yeah for some youth group event right and, and then and this is what we were grade 10 i think and there mm-hmm. were some grade 12s in there that we didn't know they were the big kids right and they were, yeah. the, they were doing the driving there and they stopped us up like chinese fire drill right so oh yes like, what? i remember so that. everybody yes, jumps yes, out yes, yes, yes. i still call it that if you yeah. do it i still call it chinese yeah right chinese fire drill i remember but that I, yes i'm 
pretty sure I've come across more than one instance that says yeah. you cannot say that anymore. And I'm, I'm kind of like, why? But that's what because, it is. Because, <laughs> yeah. okay, I, I'm not sure why yeah. it's is called that. Yeah. We, we, we never know why. Yeah, I never yeah. knew why it was called that, right? But Well, well it is like... Is it, it meant to be a... Neg- like, well, we yeah. said is it, it's, it's just... Is it meant to be pejorative? Even, yeah. even in the military context, yes, right? Like, I, this is You're reading my mind. Like, I think of all the SAS books you wrote when they talk about having... Chinese parliament. It's the Chinese parliament. Yeah. Right. When they have when yeah. the, when the when the team gets together to figure yeah. out the plan, that was or yeah. When, when you're Chinese in, parliament. and like we've used that ourselves. Yeah. When you're in the middle of the patrol and the patrol commander calls in the you know calls in the section and says, "Okay, this is a situation. What do you guys think?" And then yeah, we do that in the you know we're we're down in the low ground in the cops and there's seven of us all get together and everyone throws in their their two cents worth. Yeah, the Chinese parliament. Yeah. And, that, that was and a is that pejorative? Yeah. But I have now, also heard... I can imagine the Brits, particularly the SAS, yeah. <laughs> yeah. being racist, right? You know, yeah. so maybe when they were saying, maybe it was... I also know well, of... Remember, uh, remember like, the, the, they always called whatever... I think they were teaching judo in the British Army, yep. right? They called it jab slapping. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that, that's, that's racist. Okay, yeah. that's getting there. Right? Um, I, um, I remember reading a book about banking and insurance legislation. Or that there is legislation in place that for the longest time prevented banks could not sell insurance. And that this has only recently changed. Mm-hmm. And that the, the stipulation is that there, and the, the exact term was a Chinese walls. There must be Chinese walls between the section of the bank that deals in insurance and the section of the bank that deals in finance. And they, they still use that in the legal profession as well, like when you have complicated long so. suits. Or, yeah. yeah, where you have, like, say, a departmental schism where, like, yeah, you're located in the same building, but these two systems must be completely separate. Must be separate, yeah, for yeah. legal reasons. They call, yeah. it, they call it they a, call Chinese, it a wall. Chinese wall. Yeah. Is that a pejorative? Yeah. It, like, it, or is it yeah. just a reference to the Great Wall of China? Right? Yeah, like as like a, as we a, live a in an age, first of all, where offense is in the ear of the beholder. Yeah, mm-hmm. the and no time is taken yeah. to consider. Yeah, exactly. The, the like, if I consider what you said to be offensive, you are automatically guilty as soon as I say you are, and this to me is an extent. Uh, this is a power play. There's, I mean, we've all met that people. We've all shared the workplace with them. They're the grievance monger. Mm. Everything offends them. And they do it, I think, they do it as a way to gain power. They like being, I can shut you up. I can make your workplace uncomfortable. I can make you uh, bend to my will by always being offended at everything. And this is where you get into the whole uh, uh, victimhood Olympics. Whoever has the greatest victim credentials has the most things to be offended about. If I'm handicapped of a visible minority, uh, uh, transgender, homosexual, whatever, uh, then I have the most latitude. I, there's the biggest range of words that you could say that I could get offended at. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where we're at. So now we have to take a completely innocuous phrase, like a Chinese wall, and kind of like, oh, now I have to practice self-censorship I have to close my little intellectual horizons a little bit because I'm afraid of what some complete stranger might say about me. And you're guaranteed that someone somewhere is going to be offended about something that comes out of your mouth. Right? Because so it's, it's power to them. 
And the this, other one, this is the tragedy of the woke age. Well, yeah. I mean, and the other one that, that I find really puzzling and is Chinese puzzle, right? Because if I understand, I haven't correctly, heard that term. What, what we it, call what a Chinese puzzle is is a thing is something. It's a concept with a lot of moving pieces. Ah, uh, so a right? complex yes. system or idea, right? And my understanding is it's it's the puzzles that where you've got like a. Like a Take five the by wooden f- piece yeah. off of the metal ring or something like that? Or? That or the ones where you've got like a five by five grid of squares, oh, but there's ones yeah, missing yeah. and you ah, have yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. You move things yeah, around to until form... Until you get the picture, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and I'm like, but even if it is one of the more complicated puzzles that you're talking about, you get the, you know, that we used to get in our stockings at mm-hmm. Christmas, right? If they originated in China, calling them a Chinese puzzle. There's absolutely nothing wrong. Again, there's nothing pejorative yeah. about the concept. Here, here's a weird one. My brother and I... It's almost years a compliment. Ago. Because you're saying that... Like, we don't call it a Brazilian puzzle. Yeah. We don't call it a Scottish puzzle. It's You're saying that this is a society that was able to make a complex... Like, yeah. this came from the society that made the abacus. And yes. this is not... A coincidence is because they had an advanced enough technology that they could create complex puzzles. And it's a challenge. And yeah. it's it's up to us to live up to this challenge. Right? Yeah. It's, it's just a frame of reference. Yeah, right? to me, that's not a pejorative at all. That's almost a compliment. My brother and I were, getting back to the origins of this particular story, we're sitting on the grass mm-hmm. one day at my, at my grandparents' place. And, and it's it's in this, it's not quite a cul-de-sac, but it's, it's like a crescent. And... This car pulls up in front of us. And we're, you know, like we're sitting just the opposite side of the sidewalk. Car pulls up. Three doors open, right? Teenage Chinese girl gets out of the driver's seat, mm-hmm. walks around the back, gets in the back where her mother, Chinese mm-hmm. mother, is getting out. Chinese mother gets into the passenger seat where the f- Chinese father is getting out, mm-hmm. going around to the driver's, driver's side to get in. They all get in, close the doors, drive away. I just look at my brother and I'm like, <laughs> you just literally witnessed like <laughs> Chinese, <laughs> Chinese fire girl. <laughs> like, who, was, <laughs> like, who was driving? The girl? The daughter. The, girl. Was, the daughter was driving. Maybe she was just doing it for experience. Maybe. Yeah. yeah could be. Like, yeah. yeah. But it was just like <laughs> slow mo. Like, <laughs> slow mo Chinese fire girl. Yeah. Uh, and a literal, literal one too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of funny. And again, no disparaging them. It, it's, Speaking it's of, like, of racism, I remember uh, men my father's age. Um, being very kind of angry towards the first wave of Chinese immigrants that came in the 1970s hmm. because they only bought Japanese cars. That was the stereotype. They only buy Japanese cars and they all stick together. And that kind of struck me as like, well, gentlemen, um, if you knew anything about China and Chinese culture, you'd know they shared no affinity whatsoever with Japan. Yeah. yeah. And number two, it's maybe because... The cars, you know, your beloved Ford and Chev and G, or you know, Ford, GM and Chrysler are garbage. That's uh, allow me to rant a little bit here. It drives me nuts when Canadians talk about domestic cars. What? We don't have domestic cars. Every car in Canada, unless it actually came from a factory in Oshawa, is foreign. Every car, and there are just as many. Japanese firms building cars in Southern Ontario as there are American ones. Drives me nuts yeah. when my father and his friends used to say that, talk about like, oh, like domestic cars, our cars. No, they're not. You're buying a foreign car. You're buying an American car. It's no different to you than buying a German car, Swedish car, Japanese car, Italian car. They all come outside of Canada. We don't have domestic cars here. 
No, anyway, but again, it's, 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 a, it's all part of the othering. <laughs> okay, like there's lots of places that have factories, yeah, yeah. but it's not just the Ameri- the big three. Yeah, no, I know. The Japanese. Oh no, like like, Toy- like um, Toyota uh, had use uh, like in the eighties. Yeah. You'd see decals made in Canada, yeah. assembled in yeah. Canada, yeah. Toyotas. Yeah. Uh, Honda's been operating their Marysville, Ohio plant yep. since yeah, like, same, 1983 same like, yeah. or 84. All like I don't think Japan yeah. actually sends cars to America. They do. It depends on the models. Um, but most uh, of their stuff is made in the United States. Yeah, it, it, like I say, it depends on the models. Well, and it depends for on the, the North American market. Yeah, exactly. Honda builds virtually everything for the North American market in Marysville, yep. including motorcycles. Yep. Um, and Nissan has a factory. Yeah, but they don't have. Everything I think the, the the pickups. It depends on the yeah, like the Armadas and stuff. The yeah. big SUVs, those yeah. in the rest of the world, those are patrols. So yeah. those are Japanese made. You know, Land Cruiser. Yeah, but Land Cru- Ar- Armada's not made in, in Japan. Yeah, it is because it's, it? it's the it's the, it's the current patrol. Yeah, it's it's the North American version of the patrol. Yeah, but yeah. it's the same. the same as like is Land Cruiser, it? like all Toyota Land Cruisers are still made in Japan. Or yeah, and uh, they call them the luxury brand here. Well, they're Lexus. Lexus, thank you. Yes, yeah, but Lexus uh, is Honda. Toyota. No, Toyota. Acura is Honda. Infinity is Nissan. Yeah. Really? Yep. I did not know these things. Yep. Yeah. Um, Just like Lincoln is is a Ford. Well, I, I knew. And Cadillac yeah. is GM. Yep. They're same frame, same. A lot of guys, um, it's not so much done now because everyone's wise to it and, and the prices have gone up. But these luxury cars really lose value after five to eight years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, it used to be that, let's say you had an eight-year-old uh, Lexus. It was the same price as an eight-year-old 4Runner. Like it just dropped in value. However, that Lexus, the drivetrain, that's a Toyota Land Cruiser. It's got impeccable off-road ability. Impeccable. It just got leather seats and you know heated and cooling seats and all these luxury amenities to it. But that powertrain is going to get you anywhere off-road that you need to go. Yeah. So people were buying older Lexuses that had lost their value in the, in the luxury market. Because if you buy luxury cars, you're not buying an eight-year-old one. If you're in that market, you're not in the market for an eight-year-old one mm. or nine-year-old one yeah. with like you know 165,000 kilometers on it. So guys were buying these, installing... Uh, long travel kits on them, lifting up, putting on 33-inch tires, getting off-road bumpers made for them, and yeah, it's it's a Land Cruiser. Well, yeah, and there's and there's and the and the the level below the Land mm-hmm. Cruiser, um, yeah. which is I think with the LH560 or something, but there's yeah. an LH470, yeah, which in the rest of the world is called the Prado. Yes, in yes, version, right, and that's you know, only imported into North America as a Lexus. Yeah, but it's like it's yeah. you know. Still got very good off-road capability. Yeah, it's because it's called the Land Cruiser Prado in the rest of the world. And so guys yeah. started realizing, wait a second, there is aftermarket support at the wazoo all yeah. around the world for this thing, and nobody yeah. real. So yeah, and so yeah, when yeah. the luxury when the luxury Lexus market plummets, yeah, when, when it, it ages out of yeah. the luxury market, yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean like Lexus values don't plummet the same way that Mercedes and BMWs value. No, like, like no. You, your Mercedes will lose ninety five percent of its value in five years, like yeah. by the end of its lease. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a Mercedes that you that goes for two hundred thousand bucks, if you lease, if you do a five year lease on it, by the time you come out of that lease, it'll be worth you'd be One. like if it's worth thirty or forty. No, oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Wow. My understanding, it, I would have thought it'd at least be like say. 90 no, they they they're precipitous. It's Mercedes, especially just Mercedes plummets, and BMWs. Right? It just plummets. Wow. Well, and it's my, my understanding of Mercedes was, was the thing about it was that they were 
build like tanks. Like it was, it was like yeah, buying a high quality item. It was like getting you a, a King Tiger. <clears throat> it, it's uh, of automobiles. Mer- Mercedes, yeah, Mercedes, the Germans had good quality. Yeah. Mercedes still has impeccable build quality, but um, the the technology, the quality, mm. and the sustainability of the technology hasn't kept up in modern cars. Like so, you buy, you take like an old, even like the uh, like the the W one two fours, which are those are actually going back up in value. And those those you're talking about like like uh, uh, mid to late eighties, early nineties uh, Mercedes. Those are the last ones that really had like a really great mm-hmm. reputation for for build quality. And yep. anything prior to that, like what separated Mercedes from a Cadillac was a Cadillac. A Cadillac was a jumped up Chevy. Yeah, but a Mercedes had like was, was purpose built designed. like a tank yeah. and everything purpose designed fit right. Yeah, and then and that's how Lexus started eating their lunch because yeah. like the the first Lexus the the four fifty or four hundred mm-hmm. actually was. Like their advertising campaign, they had two advertising campaigns. One was taking a ball bearing, mm-hmm. a small ball bearing, and running this. it down like the hood lines to show that the yeah. panel gaps were just immaculate. Yeah. And another one was running the thing on a dyno at 125 miles an hour with a stack of champagne glasses yes. on it. Yeah. And not and they not and, and, off. and not having them fall off. Yeah. Yes, I remember and, those ads. Yeah, and that was and and so the, those early Lexus is long term quality on those. Like yeah, um, Matt, Matt, Matt Farah from the Smoking Tire, he he had one that. Um, they call it the million mile Lexus. He eventually yeah. sold it, but he got this thing at like eight hundred thousand clicks or something on that, and it's like, and it's and he did a little bit of work to it, but it still ran really well. Yeah. And so he's like, let's get this thing over a mile. So he gave it to YouTuber to YouTuber to YouTuber until he could run it over a million miles. Wow. And it's that car's still running. Wow. And then he eventually sold it afterwards. Yeah. And, uh, uh, this was a Toyota. Or, uh, yeah, 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 Alexis. So, so the there was. Uh, I just read an article recently about a, a Nissan Frontier. That belongs to a guy who's a courier down in California. So granted, a lot of it's freeway and highway miles, but he's over a million miles on his, uh, like a 2013, 14 Frontier. He's had to replace the driver's seat three times because <laughs> he just compresses the foam on it from yeah. all the miles he puts on it. But the drive, and but aside from regular maintenance, like he's had to change a couple of ball joints, um, struts, um, but you know, and like oil change, oil and filter. He hasn't had a major failure in the engine yet. Like same alternator, same, like he's not burning oil. That's that's the thing that gets me about, I mean, I've been, you know, when, when I've been able to, mm-hmm. I've sworn by Toyotas. Yeah, uh, I, I like Japanese cars. So for 20, yeah. I think we got, we got our first Toyota I'm going to say 98, 97, 98. I never looked back. Now, currently I'm driving a Jeep because... Yeah, Cherokee. I I ended up with a Jeep. It's a Patriot. Oh, Patriot, sorry. um, But it's a stick, so, you know. Yeah, you like like stick? So no one will steal it. Yeah, the millennial (laughs) anti-theft device. Um, You know, but for the longest time, Toyotas were nice and cheap. They were. Right? And And they're not now. And they were quality. Yeah. Right? So now that you pay Toyota, tax. when I went out to look at uh, to look at vehicles this yep. last time, I ended up with this Jeep. Yeah, right. I expected to find a good, you know, couple of years. Good used, luck. Uh, good luck. Use Toyota. And Toyotas no. lose like two percent of value a year, man. They and and the value on. has gone up because they are not selling them cheap yep. anymore. They, at yep. some point, they figured out that they can charge premium. You rate. betcha. And yep. 
you know. You can charge $10,000 more for a brand new Toyota than you can a brand new GM or a brand new Ford. And, and whatever market you're in. And, and then so Hyundai slipped yeah. in to yeah. fill that, that void. And Mitsubishi now, and Acura or, yeah. uh, and uh, Kia. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but they've all moved up the chain too. Yeah. Right? Uh, Mitsubishi certainly has. Hyundai has too. Yeah. Mitsubishi is, again, like Toyota. I think they started their, their sound. I think their philosophy was, okay, we're going to break into this market by having bulletproof quality. Yeah. Like that 10-year bumper-to-bumper, no questions asked warranty. Like nobody could match that. And yeah, so Mitsubishi has a very solid reputation. Very, like you're not going to find a lot of people who say, yeah, I had a Mitsu and it was just a piece of crap. It was a lemon. You don't hear a lot of those stories. And of course, their prices have gone up accordingly. Um, I don't think guys like Kia can... Um, is there another Korean Hyundai. maker? Yeah, Hyundai. I don't think Kia and Hyundai can match the quality of the Japanese yet. I they're think there's still a tear down. They're close, but there's a, still a tear down. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, I think that's, that is how they decided to get a foothold into the American market. We're going to build a quality product, and we're going to undercut the big boys in price. Well, exactly. They, they filled the void that... Yeah. That, that Toyota, Toyota did when they stepped yeah. up, right? Yeah. And my, my other impression is that, you know, the, the price of cars, relatively speaking, have gone up. Oh, way up. Since, since COVID? The, the oh, ni- well, no, yeah. since the 90s, right? Like, like I don't recall uh, cars costing as much of one's paycheck mm. as they do nowadays, right? When it, when it comes to the final bottom Maybe. line. I, I wonder. I wonder if there's... Uh, I wonder... I wonder if there's any data on that. I'm sure there is. Given like, the you can probably just ask the Google to compare the yeah, uh, price yeah, of the average yeah. new automobile yeah. to the purchasing power of the dollar compared I to. I certainly think so with pickup ago. trucks. Yeah. Well, pick the cost of brand new pickup trucks is In this ridiculous. Province, right? but, it's insane. Like six figures for like I who does that? Who spends yeah. six figures? Yeah, like top end, on an automobile. Like top end, like like navigators and and Cadillac uh, Escalades. So the top end SUVs yeah. are both the top end of those yeah. are both over hundred grand. But US. like if if you go to a yeah. brand new pickup truck, like and like the like a long brand, a long ranch or or long branch or uh, and uh, King Ranch, King Ranch, and then what's the what's the Dodge one? Uh, it would be a Laramie. Uh, so yeah, like the top end of the pickup truck. Hmm. Yeah, they're all like 110, 120. Like yeah, yeah. When you start going heavy duties and dealers, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't understand who thinks that's like to me. That's where the fool and the money got parted. Hmm. There is no way you're even if you drive that vehicle till it piles up, you're not getting your money's worth out of it. Well, yeah, because like ultimately, like I don't need my vehicle to be too much of a statement. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, if if it's got stick. Yeah, I'm good with it, right? You know, that's if it's, if it's got air conditioning, then you know, that's a nice little bonus, right? But I grew up with that. That's it's, something that, like, I've got a friend who's a die hard manual partisan, mm-hmm. die hard, and he believes a lot of things that are, frankly, like mechanics have told me that's a myth. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like for example, he believes that um, cabbies in uh, Europe. And uh, say Latin America, overwhelmingly use manual because the uh, the cobblestones will rattle automatic transmissions to pieces, and so you have to have a, a, a manual as it's more reliable in you know, like a high vibration environment. And I've had mechanics tell me like, no, that's crap. 
That's what your suspension is for. It dampens all that shit. Um, but he is that kind of an advocate. And he is now at the point that he will only buy a vehicle just for the manual transmission. Yeah. He and no longer has a loyalty to Toyota or GM or anything like that. It's all about what can you get me that's manual. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason I was bringing it up is because is people have asked me, you know, if you could have your dream car, you know, if you asked me like, mm-hmm. you know, 30, 35 years ago, mm-hmm. I was like, ah, well, you know, it's it's a, it's an Alfa Romeo Spider or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think or most like, people are like that. Um, nowadays, I'm like... <laughs> Anything with a stick, man. <laughs> what? I, you know, I can't no, see my myself... My dream car is not a new car. I, yeah, same here. I yeah. can't see myself driving a Lexus for the sake of owning a Lexus yeah. or a Merc or a Beamer. Well, yeah. Beamers and Audis in particular. Like, I used yeah. to want a Beamer. Yeah. But now that like the, their drivers have such a reputation, it's like <laughs> they're marketing to assholes. Mm. Um, like, know, Land, I, like Land Rover. It's like... Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, would, yeah. I will never, mm-hmm. ever buy a Ram truck. Just based on the drivers. Just based on, yes. Oh, yeah. Because I, mean, I you do it know, all the time. If I get cut off, that, if I get passed on the right or passed on yeah, the shoulder. It's either a pickup driver no, or it's, it's a fucking Beamer. It's a Ram driver. Yeah. Okay. Right? Like, well, I've and I have read stuff on that. Yeah. That Ram I think it's tends because to be they're the lowest, the lowest price. Yeah, the lowest price. Yeah. And so, so the, the barrier to entry is lowest. That there is a relation between young men who are overly aggressive drivers. Yes. And because they have less experience on the road, um, not as good, not as skilled as drivers, mm-hmm. for like, who overestimate their ability as drivers. Yeah. And they proponently, because they have lower incomes, buy Rams. Buy Ram pickup trucks. Yeah. No, I, I get, I get yeah. why it is. Did it's you just... know? But I agree with you. Like, I find that most of the, the poor drivers who overestimate their own abilities yeah. are pickup truck drivers yeah. because it's... they're predominantly young men. But interesting stat. Did you know that Ram pickup trucks overwhelmingly have more DUIs or involved in, in, in more DUIs and more fatal drunk driving accidents than any other vehicle? That wouldn't surprise me. Uh, because Based on how I see the driver. Because you're dealing with the same demographic. And, and, it's, the, and it's the same issues, That's right? why we should ban Dodge Ram pickup trucks. <laughs> no. Here we go. Because if we Here ban we Dodge Ram pickup trucks, there'll be less drunk driving incidents, right? Because it's not, it's it's no. It'll just the F one fifties will increase. Well, I, I, no, we, we no, know that I, someone's being facetious. I know. Here. I look at the gun I control legislation, be, and it makes perfect well. sense yeah. that if we ban guns, people will stop killing each other. Well, then let's ban the pickup truck because it's the most drunk driving incidents, and the drunk driving will go down. Dodge Ram pickup truck, the AR fifteen, out of the highway. Road. Yes, yeah. It's just Ram now. They separate the Dodge off. Ram is its own division. Uh, Ram. Okay. You see, and and this is the problem with the Ram lobby. The National Ram Association <laughs> has has been able to Ram. buy our political leaders with their, you know, like you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of lobbying funding, and you know, they that's that's why you're never going to get Dodge Rams or Rams uh, banned off the road, because like the Ram lobby, the NRA just has way too much political power. But between the Ram lobby and Big Hemi, oh yeah, big that's Hemi. a Big Hemi. Oh God, those guys, they're part of the Illuminati. Right there, right there. Big Hemi. That's that's good. That's good. Big Hemi. I love that. I love that. that No, it just came to me, actually. Good one. (laughs) Where were we? We were at uh, Big Hemi. Oh, yeah. Big Big Hemi. Hemi. (laughs) The big lobby group. That was was inspired. You were talking about how, you know, the demographic that drives uh, 
the Ram pickup trucks. Yep. You know, they, they overestimate their abilities and stuff. But Well, just young <clears throat> men tend to overestimate their driving ability. Well, yeah. my experience, and actually, when you texted today, well, well, let's, you know, think of things that we can just throw on the table. Like, the whole concept of driving um, and just behavior. And I was thinking this on the way here. Mm-hmm. You know, just getting stuck behind people. You know, and it's the inane ways and I do mean ways plural like you got these substrata of behavior and, and drivers you know mm-hmm. um, just drives me insane right <laughs> like, and you characterize it as and you're right young men tend to overestimate their abilities yeah but it, to me it's become a, a function of a lack of awareness of their surroundings right and I think that's fundamentally that's where we are we're at again this comes down to context and critical thinking in so many ways do you think that they were better drivers in the past the, the way i've often described and i can't remember again I, I tend to repeat myself when i bring mm-hmm. up adages right but i drove in spain and italy yep in spain in 2000 italy in 2001 Mm-hmm. And when I was there, and, I, and we were driving rental cars both times, yeah, right. And it was a real adjustment. Oh yeah, I in bet. Spain the first I year bet. in particular, right? Because I drove like a North American for the first few days. And right. it, it, my first experience was I, I was it was in Barcelona. Yeah, like the day we picked up our rental car, and funnily enough, signing all the paperwork, signing all the yep. paperwork, signing all the paperwork, and the guy goes, "Oh," I said, "What?" He said, "It's a standard." Right, right, because and I the was, stereotypical North American right. does not drive standard. And that, that was my first thing. I'm, I'm like, so he's like, yeah. oh, really? And I thought yeah. as a North American that would be a problem for you. I'm saying, yeah. No, man, I learned how to drive on a yeah. Volkswagen camper. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, yeah, I can drive standard. Yeah. So that same day, we're trying to get out of. I'm not out of Barcelona. I'm mm-hmm. trying to get out of an alleyway. Yeah. Right. And the pedestrians are just yeah passing back and forth, yep. back, and forth back and forth, back and forth. You're right. waiting for a gap. And I, I was waiting for a gap, and there wasn't one. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and that was when I, it clicked in me yeah. that I had to not think like a normal Yeah, American, you just got to go. Right? I yeah. just started creeping out, creeping yeah. out, and eventually, you know, they started going behind me, and I yeah. got out onto the street, right? But yeah. I was there for a good five to ten minutes yeah. before I figured this out, right? Yeah. And it was this growing awareness. Like, a couple of days later, that we're at this, we're, so there's this high-speed highway. Mm-hmm. There was a ramp coming up to it. And for me to get to where I wanted to go, there was a ramp on the other side of this high-speed highway. Mm-hmm. So I had to cross this 50 feet. Mm-hmm. To So I came up to this highway stop, had to get across it. There were no stoplights. There was a stop sign, right? And, I, and, and there was always traffic coming. Yeah. I, was, I was like, I had to pucker up and just floor it and get across there before somebody mm-hmm. hit me, right? And mm-hmm. It was just, again, that system was designed for people who could think that way. Right. And so the comparison I had at the time was, okay, European drivers, Spaniards and Italians in particular, drive like maniacs. Yep. But they all know that they drive like maniacs. Yeah. And they have that awareness. So it's, it's baked into the cake. Yeah. Yeah. So the next year when I, when I realized I had missed my turn, yep. it was supposed to be a, a 90 degree turn and another 90 degree turn. Yep. Right? And I had missed that. So I, I went and did like a 120 degree turn <laughs> yeah. 50 meters down the road yeah. right and i had to swing right into oncoming traffic to do it yeah 
Yeah, I got lots of honks and stuff like that, yep. but I didn't hit anyone. No one hit me because they all yep. expected. They all expect someone to be a very aggressive for some move. Yep. Stun dumbass to do that, right? Yep. So my comparison at the time was okay. By contrast, Edmonton drivers mm-hmm. don't drive like maniacs. Yep. And they don't and, expect and, and, others and, to drive like and, maniacs. And they and they don't have the awareness, but they don't need it. Yeah. Right. What's happened in that time since is now people drive like maniacs. They still don't have the fucking awareness, <laughs> yeah. right? So I don't think we. I don't think we draw like maniac. I don't well, give it. I I see examples of. No, of there's stuff. there's just enough people that ram drivers. <laughs> ram drivers who are like you know, especially when traffic's slow, right? Like it's, you know, there's some kind of thing, and just some some dickhead in a ram will just take the median and down down. Well, or they're weaving in and out, right? Nobody seems whatever, to know yeah. what a following distance is anymore, yeah. right? Um. Again, do you think this is different, say, from the 1970s? Absolutely. Like, time you was, think okay. That people in the 1970s did know what a following distance was? I, I think the following distance thing comes just from congestion. Because if you go to mm-hmm. Ontario, like, if you go out mm-hmm. on the 401, and as much as it pains me to do this, yeah. I have to commend people mm-hmm. who drive in the Metro yeah. Toronto area because yeah. they're very polite, mm-hmm. and they're very good, and, like... Driving a truck through Metro Toronto down the 401 or the Don yep. Parkway or whatever, you turn your signal on, someone will make room for you. That yeah. does not happen here in Alberta. Oh, yeah? But they don't have following distance there because they don't have room for it. It's just congestion. Yeah. Right? No, so I, just, yeah. I think yeah. that is and part of what's And I would say that's majority of it. I don't think yeah. we're worse or any better than any other generation. Yeah. It's the, our, our, for number one, more cars on the road. Yeah. Uh, the speed available to cars is higher. Yeah. Yeah. Than what it was, than, than the average sedan could do in the 1970s. Handling suspensions, brakes are better. Yeah. So it is less punishing of driver error than, say, it was in the past. Well, I don't know. No, but I, I, don't nowadays, that, I don't think we're any worse or better than previous generations. I think the, the congestion. I think the congestion. I think the congestion is a factor. Absolutely. Right. Uh, but I, because I remember back in the mm-hmm. day, you would have following distance. Right, you would have a safer following distance because there was just fewer days. cars on the road. Right. Nowadays, uh, I, I think it's it does tie into driver attitudes. The other mm-hmm. attitudes, the other drivers, is you leave following distance. That's just an invitation for someone to. Someone's going to come it, into it, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're always going to end up with no following distance, mm-hmm. right? But when I talk about you know you talk about people overestimating their abilities, and I, I'm talking about awareness. I'm talking about the people who are. Driving along, so they're either deliberately uh, doing this mm-hmm. because they're dickheads, or they are just just, su- just suddenly realizing, oh fuck, I'm in the left lane. Mm-hmm. I want to be taking that ramp four lanes over, <laughs> right? And I've got a hundred yeah. meters to yeah. do it, right? And they'll just cut off everybody else to do it, as if that's just the most natural thing in the I, world. To I do. can I can almost always see that coming too. Mm-hmm. Like it's I, yeah. I don't know if it's just because like. Oh yeah, I, I was just thinking on it. Like uh, I've had my, I've been a truck driver, or I've been had my truck driving license for almost twenty eight years mm-hmm. now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm just like, so you've you, seen it. You can you watch it, and you can just see a guy, and you'd see, and you'd see that guy's going to do a right turn from the left lane. I just yeah. no, and it's sure enough. I would say I'm going to say that um, again. I got no data on this, but I'm prepared to lay money on it that this was not more common in, say, 1969 than it is now. 
The difference is we have more exit lanes. We have more freeways. We see this tendency no. more. I, I, I disagree. We have the yellow Mike's- head now. We have the white mud now. We have the Hende now. And they've got a lot more overpasses and cloverleafs on them now than we did in 1969. So that's why we see it more. There's just more opportunities for it to happen. No, I don't, it's, to me, it's behavioral. Right? Well, I can remember what's, the, what's I, changed? What makes our behavior? What in our society makes people inherently worse drivers now than 40 years ago? The same thing that makes them assholes on... Exactly the same thing that makes them assholes online, right? The anonymity it's, of it? Yeah, yeah it's partly so. the anonymity. But we had anonymity in our cars in 1969. Yeah, but there's... Like I said, you know, there are no... We're living in a society now, and I don't just blame young people, right? Mm-hmm. Youth, youth are always going to be youth, as you've pointed mm-hmm. out, right? What's changed these days, they are youth within a society that now doesn't understand what inconvenience is, mm-hmm. doesn't understand what um, <clears throat> consequences are. Or patience. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right? So they're just doing what they want when they want to, right? And... So the reason I'm disagreeing with that, that has not been my experience. You know, mm-hmm. you know just, just going back in my memory. No, purely anecdotal. Right. But, like uh, I said, we're prisoners of our own perception. At some time in the 80s or 90s, I remember driving. I was eastbound on the white mud. Eastbound or down. And coming up on 91st Street exit, right? Mm-hmm. And past that and headed towards 75th. There was some idiot in... Uh, a sports car of some sort and he was reversing down the shoulder <laughs> down the right hand shoulder <laughs> because shoulder. because he had, yeah he was on the shoulder he complained about <laughs> because he had missed the 91st street turnoff yeah. yeah right now I remember that striking me at the time going good god like fuck off <laughs> Right, you know what kind of <laughs> self-absorbed fucking prick does bullshit like that, right? Like because yeah, as to just going down to seventy fifth. Yeah, just go to seventy yeah, fifth, double back, turn right, yeah, and come and, back, yeah, and double back. You know, yeah. the, like a rational person would do. Like right? I had to do today. Um, I missed my turn off, or uh, not only missed the turn off, but I took the wrong one. I took the one going going uh, westbound into the city, and so I'm booting down. Uh, I think it was. Uh, Sure, uh, would have been white mud. And uh, there was a gap in the freeway, and I couldn't have whipped the shitty. Oh, yeah. That's where the photo radar guy said. And I thought, white yeah. Mud. And I thought, nah, I won't do that. That's that's too dodgy. I'll just go down to 17th Street and just turn or double back, turn around. Mm-hmm. I, was, I had to think about Exactly. That. Yeah. Right? And, and that's why but people will do that. Oh, yeah. I've you seen, can, I've you can see all the tracks yeah. in the snow. Oh, yeah. People do that all oh, the time. Oh, the preponderance of people that, that yeah. just do stupid things like the... The swinging across the, the thing, four lanes of traffic to get yeah. to the to the, the off ramp that the they cal- poorly the Calif- planned for the right? California lane change. Yeah, but the thing the thing that I think that that I see that most mm-hmm. I don't know bolsters his argument or not, but or if it's just always been true is is just people's failure to engage with the fact that they're entering onto a freeway until they're yes at the lines. Yes, oh. right, right, like. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I'm on the on ramp. The on ramp is not the freeway. Do 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 do. I'm on the on ramp. Like, oh jeez, oh, now I gotta accelerate. Only, yeah, the speed yeah. limit here is 100. I'm doing 40. Yeah, like, oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> well, I, and, I had again one of the reasons I wanted to have this is, or I thought this could be a subject, and I, I'm 
I'm laughing inside because this is where we eventually got to from mm. where we started, yeah. which was well, starting uh, with dating. losing, you know, Gen when, Z what, dating. at what age yeah. are, what percentage of youth yeah. losing their virginity these yeah. days compared to the seventies. Um, yeah, I, I was on 149th and coming up to the white mud, it's a 60 zone. The idiot in front of me is doing 40. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, coming on to the on-ramp, which is going to be 80. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so there's a reason it's 60. We could be doing 70 because no one's going to do, yeah. do you for that. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're doing 40. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he gears up to 60 for to for getting into the 80s on this yeah like, for fuck's sake Glenn. and this like, and then know. of course this causes um i forget the name of it but it's a term to do with a wave and that this guy hits the 80 speed limit doing 60 65 yeah so then the guy approaching him has to break yeah, yeah. and so so I, he yeah. slows down to, to 75 the 70 the yeah. effect was and then it goes further and further and further back and uh yeah the like because effect. Yeah, I that's what we call it in ruck marching, right? It was a caterpillar. Yeah, I was, yeah. Gonna, I was gonna bring it up when <laughs> yeah. we were doing uh, yeah. doing ruck march or uh, I, wedding march. I know, used to I sand. used to drive down I used to drive down uh, the toilet or not toilet or uh, Hende, or you know for those not from them, just a big uh, main freeway, a uh, ring road, road. Yeah. ring road, and there would come a point where we would be stopped, dead stop, on on the freeway. And I first couple of times that happened, I thought, oh, there must be an accident up ahead or some blockage. There wasn't. No, this is would, right around the I Stony would, Plain Road. Or no, uh, Twilliger. On the oh, Twilliger on corner. Twilliger. Yeah. And so I'd be heading south on the ring road. And you get to this point in the southwest corner of the city and uh, where, you know, the ring road starts, instead of moving south, now starts to move, starts to move east. Back east. Yeah. And uh, it, we'd be at a dead stop. And I, I think, well... I'm assuming there's a blockage, there's a, an accident, there's something. And so then when I finally get moving again, there wasn't. There was no there was no stoppage, there was no accident, there was no construction, there was no nothing. And I thought, why does this happen? So I started, you know, trying to figure this out. And that's what it is. It's more cars than what the road can what the road capacity is. Mm, yeah. And that people driving too slow. The, yeah. the, it's really bad actually. There's two places it's really bad on the Henday at at rush hour. Mm-hmm. If you're going, if you're on the south side of the city, mm-hmm. going westbound yep. from the Calgary Trail Gateway Interchange, yep. so, or yep. where that comes on, then yep. there's 111th Street and there's one in between. But anyway, three, yep. there's three accesses. Well, yeah, so it's it's people coming like yep. north off of Highway 2, people yep. coming south on Calgary Trail. Yep. They come on and then 111th Street comes on right after. Yep. And it all too close. And every day from... Probably quarter to four yep. till about five thirty, five thirty ish, five forty five. That place turns into a parking lot. Yeah, on the north side of the city, it's Campbell Road. Yes, I don't know why yeah. Campbell Road. Yeah, it's, it's just one exit. And yep. like, I mean, the Saint Albert trailer is a little bit further back. But I'm going to guess it's people coming from Saint Albert and people coming up one fifty six at the same time. No, but the Campbell Road where it gets onto the Henday. Yeah, the Henday always. There's a lot of traffic right, all coming right, into right, that right, right, into right, that junction. There. Yeah, it just and but it anyway, turns into a parking um, lot. Somebody gets on doing 65 in the 80 zone. So this guy slows down to 75. The guy behind him has to break further. The guy behind him is now having to break to yeah. 65. The guy behind him down to 60. And then it just, uh, it's like a, a backlash or a, a backdraft effect until 200 cars down, somebody's got to stop. Yeah. yeah. And that's what it is. And it's it, gets just, ma- and it gets magnified if one of those guys is a truck. Yeah. Like, like a, a tractor yeah. trailer, right? Because, you know, and that's, well, that's, that's get, all it is. Yeah, to yeah. slow him down and then to start it again. Yeah. 
get up and run. Like it's, you know. Yep. So it's it's just a matter of uh, more cars than what the road was designed to handle. Yeah. And those cars not efficiently merging. Like trying to merge at too slow a speed. Yeah. No, there's, there's no question. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, so, and you were talking about how you... Steve, you were you were mentioning before how you watch for this stuff. Like you mm-hmm. can see this shit happen. Yeah. Yeah. And also but, you're higher up in the truck, so you can see further ahead. You know, yeah, you, but, you can see it developing. But you just sometimes exactly. you, you see a vehicle and you just something about it, right? You it's, recognize the trends, it's pattern yeah, recognition. Yeah, it's skills. pattern recognition, and yeah. I can't always articulate it, but you just see yeah. like, oh, that guy's gonna make a that yeah. guy's gonna exit make a right exit from the left lane. I can just tell. Yep. Well, you so, watch. You watch that guy. <laughs> and then sure enough, yeah. three out of ten times, he does yeah. it. Yeah. So well, sometimes you can look at this, you can look at all the factors, all the players involved. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you can be three lane highway on ramp coming on on the right hand side. Mm-hmm. There's two vehicles coming on. <clears throat> you got yourself and two other vehicles in front of you mm-hmm. in the right hand lane. Because I want to take the next exit after that. Mm-hmm. Right. You got Two stun dummies coming up on your left-hand side, right, mm-hmm. doing their own thing, and another couple of guys in the fast lane on the far left, right. Now, if everyone's aware, right, the guys yep. in front of me are making space for those two vehicles to get in. Yeah. Right. The guys on my left are slowing down so that I can yeah. move over. Yeah. Right. Or some of us can make, yeah. move over. And the other guys out there on the, on the far left are speeding up. Yeah, to make room for the other guys who want to right? get in behind them. Yeah. Instead, what's happening is the guy who's, the, the guy in front who's trying to merge mm-hmm. is doing 60, yeah. as previously discussed. The guy behind him is riding his ass like a motherfucker. Yeah. You know, because he wants to be doing 90. Yeah. Uh, yeah so he's like right on know, his bumper. The other two idiots aren't doing anything. You know, they're, they're just blocking it. The other guys are passing me, so no one can move over to the left to make mm-hmm. room for these guys. I'm the only one, yeah. right? I'm the only. One. I'm slowing down, and I'm kind of like, okay, I'm gonna leave a lot of space between me, and I hope the idiot behind me doesn't run run mm-hmm. into my ass. Well, again, I'm gonna say that I think probably our grandparents have these exact same tendencies and these exact same instincts in their driving. The difference is that we have a lot more freeways to express those same habits and instincts yeah freeways that were built uh, 20 years ago without taking into account the fact that congestion was going to get yeah. worse and volume and, was going to get worse they were built for yeah. 20 years ago yeah yeah i mean they, they didn't anticipate you know like the, the hey, sudden growth in the population of the city just be happy you don't live in winnipeg <laughs> why is that i i'm happy Winni- i don't winnipeg, literally live in winnipeg for winnipeg a whole is bunch one of, of the reasons. first the first cities to mm-hmm. have come up with the perimeter highway idea okay like right? the ring in, road, yeah. in canada the ring road right mm-hmm. i 94 mm-hmm. i lived in winnipeg for a winter well, um my condolences yeah yeah it was it was, and it was like up to that point like the worst mm-hmm. winter in recorded history yeah. it, was, well, it, it was it gets cold in the peg boy. <laughs> yeah. anyway so they've had the perimeter highway yep so the perimeter highway only goes about three quarters of the way around Winnipeg yep. and then you have Dodge. And then they've, yep. they've actually, well, now they've, they've put it, it's all connected. It's not all, it's not a limited access highway yet. There's still mm-hmm. like places you can just turn right onto the perimeter highway. It's yep. got, got traffic, especially in the Southern portion of it. Yeah. It's got a whole whack of traffic lights. Yeah. You know, and it was there, uh, like when I was there in 94, it was, it was three quarters of the way around. And then you, yeah. if you, it was the North East quadrant that wasn't completed yeah. yet. And that, that quadrant's still not completed. 
Yeah. It's the road has been done, but the, the overpass over Lajemodier Boulevard yep. is, is, has not been completed the last time I was there. Um, and this was before a pebble of asphalt had been laid down for the Anthony Andy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And I was back there, uh, yeah. you know, well, like six years ago, I was, I was through there every week when I, yeah. was, I was hauling hydrogen for Harley Quinn, and it was, it was, uh, I remember, and I was just like, yeah, how has this not gotten any better? Like, I remember having to drive years. in Winnipeg quite a bit. Like I was there every month, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was not a, not a fun city to drive in. Yeah, and there's like there's no there's no internal freeways in Winnipeg, right? There was like, a couple, but yeah, they weren't that. Great. Like Calgary's got the Deerfoot that goes right yeah. to the city, north to yeah. south. Edmonton yeah. got, Does, got yeah. the white mud. That, Edmonton really didn't have a, any north south routes. It still doesn't no, really. No, it doesn't really. We've got Seventeenth Street and One Seventieth. We've got Groat. Yeah, Grope. Grope, which becomes Saint Albert Trail, but I mean yeah. that. But, but, then, but yeah. you still but have to deal with the university. Yeah, yeah, and it's not it's not a freeway. No, it's just a, a main route. Yeah, yeah. Like we've got uh, 17th yeah. Street or 66th, uh, 75th, Grope, and 170th. Yeah. But they're not freeways. They're main, they're main roads. Yeah, but they're they're not. Yeah, they're not freeways. Yeah, they're not. You know, 75th is for a while. Yeah, I mean, it'll once, up once it becomes bit, yeah. the old Capilano, now Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, 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 exactly. A little bit, a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, Edmonton could be laid out a lot better. But Yeah, it certainly could. Certainly could. Because I, I remember our old CEO Buick, he used yeah. to complain about, yeah. we got the white mud, but it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. I'm like, well, it goes from the south side to the west end, and it is actually kind of important. For the, for the people who live there, for, yeah. Well, and for economic, because yeah. yeah, the two yeah. major industrial areas in the city are south side, west end. Yeah, exactly. Thing, right? so yeah. It connected those. But, but. I think uh, <laughs> hoping for good traffic planning under the city of Edmonton. I'm, think it ain't going to happen. I think out of any city. Yeah. yeah, to be honest. Municipal governments, I think, tend to be overwhelmingly poor. But if you would allow me to segue to a new subject. Okay, absolutely. This is, this is my thing I've been thinking about this okay. week. Okay. Um, technocrats. Yep. Like and, big tech? No, no, no. Technocrats like in the progressive sense of the word. Like Okay, like, like as in like a government government by experts and stuff like that. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Here's yes, my thing. Yes, my my current reasoning for why you should not trust, and it's not just technocrats but experts as a whole. Experts in general, yes. Is say you get the hundred leading physicists. Yep. You know, and physics is a field with lots of specialization. Yep. And you put them all in a room, mm-hmm. and they're you know if they're all say they all were Nobel laureates. Yeah. What percentage of what there is to know about physics do those people collectively know? Do oh, you, do you okay. think it's do you think it's ten percent? If that, right? I, I was kind th- of at I was, the beginning of the road with physics. Aren't I, we? I was thinking about my own expertise. Mm-hmm. I, like I say, I've been a trucker for almost thirty years, and I, I was thinking about this week, and I'm like, I maybe know forty percent of the total of what there is to know about trucking, and that's probably being mm-hmm. pretty fucking generous. Okay. I've never ice road trucked. I've never pulled road trains, but I have pulled extended length turnpikes. I've never, mm-hmm. I've never hauled logs. Yep. You know, I have hauled fuel. I have all, you know, stuff I've done in the oil patch, but you know, uh, environmental science, science is in its infancy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, computer science is very much in its infancy. Yep. Right. Um, we're just bitched about traffic planning. That's, that's yep. professions for people. So when you, if you start to ask people, so you were talking earlier about um, what the hell? Anyway, but like figures of speech, like this guy knows all there is to know about X. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows all there is to know about anything. Yeah, right. It doesn't matter how long he's been doing, how long he's an expert, right? Nobody. 
So, and I think it is the experts based on something that is uh, the complete knowledge, the com- or what the is complete what is corpus it? of knowledge? Or? The complete corpus of knowledge mm-hmm. is probably a fraction of what's actually available to know about any given subject. Right. We just haven't learned it yet. Right. Okay. Ideally, so, ideally. So even the people who know the most yeah. would be the ideally the people who know the most would be the most aware of that. But they're not, I don't think. For the for in yeah. a lot of fields they aren't for sure. Yeah, in right? a lot of fields, right. uh, particularly that of uh, public policy. Yeah. So the whole this is this is my uh why you shouldn't trust experts and why government by technocrats is a bad idea. And that's why I've been on this week. So Okay. Discuss. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Uh, what well, <clears throat> I was waiting for well your, your a, take, it's, Steve, only, uh, it's only a hypothesis, right? It's from 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 my point of view, because I, I, I can't back it up. I haven't done a lot of research, right? No, it's, right. it's, it's, no, it's, it's literally a hypothesis that right. nobody knows or you know, when we say all oh, these good people are the are the most knowledgeable, I'm like, okay, but right. in the grand scheme of things, they're barely more knowledgeable than the average person. In the grand scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, yeah. based on the uh, the knowledge available that we haven't right. learned yet. Right. Right. Versus, uh, at the same time, and, and not which, to, is, which, which, is, which isn't to refute what you just said. You're right. In the grand scheme of things, they know a little more. On the other hand, in a lot of ways, they know infinitely more than the average person. Okay, but right? my, my, my point is here is that do is, they know enough to effectively govern based on that expertise? Well, but the we don't if they. I mean, we're de- we're dealing with the known unknowns mm-hmm. or the unknown unknowns. Yep. Sorry, but the unknown yep. unknowns. But so you got to understand that the opportunity for error is still very high, even if the decision is made by the most knowledgeable person alive. That the, yeah. the, 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 the percentage, this is my, I guess the crux of my hypothesis, is that the chance of that person being wrong is a lot higher than probably even that person believes. Okay, so right. let's, I mean, <clears throat> context is important. Obviously, mm-hmm. sure. You know, I mean, like it varies from field to field. To a to a certain degree. So, offhand, my first response would be that if you've got a hundred of them in the room, yeah. right, that you know the, the main thing is going to be they're all going to agree on X, right? There, there's going to be a certain body of uh, of data that they're all going to agree because. That's what it was. That's what it's always been. You know, like so. Those are the fundamentals, and <clears throat> though I've all uh, grown up with, learned those same fundamentals, and that's core to their their understanding. The concern, or you know, the challenge that comes with that is what it, what happens when those fundamentals change. You know, for instance, if some public policy was, were dependent on the fact that. We had nine planets in our solar system, and not eight. Right, 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 and that was. Are we back to nine again? Didn't they decide? I, think I don't they know. Changed their mind. I don't know Pluto what the again. status of Pluto is. I don't know. I heard they changed their mind again or something. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Is Pluto a planet or a planetoid? Well, good no. because God damn it, Pluto should be a planet, as far as I'm concerned. He's a good dog. He's <laughs> <laughs> a good dog. Yeah. Um, you know, so so what happens then? Right, you know, it's it's solid until it's not solid, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so there, there's that, right? Whatever, I'm, whatever I'm going to throw in to say that this has come into focus uh, of late because of two uh, 
considerable phenomenon, both of which are going to be throwing ripples across society for a long time. Okay. Um, the first one and the one, uh, the knock-on. No, I'll start at the beginning. COVID. Yeah. COVID, our response to COVID was dictated completely by unelected experts. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a very large body of opinion that says now in hindsight, they were wrong. They weren't just wrong. They were spectacularly wrong. Yeah. And they refused to admit they were wrong. And this caused a huge amount of damage and harm. Yeah. The second, uh, where we're kind of at the beginning of that is in our policy to global warming, where experts are trying to impose a set of policy, a set of policies upon society, which is, um, I guess, uh, living in the shadow of COVID where there is now a mistrust of, uh, of experts. And it has a similar, it has a similar context in that the policies, the policy recommendations of the experts are harmful to a great number of people. Mm -hmm. And so there is that resistance to it. And again, the experts refuse to, to acknowledge the possibility that they might be wrong. And to those of us who are not experts, or not experts who have that ability to, to, to influence public policy, we tend to interpret this as hubris. We tend to interpret this as arrogance and an overestimation of their own ability. But I think it starts, it really, really comes, I, I'm not saying this is new. I'm not saying this is recent. I think this has been building for a time. For example, why didn't experts predict the 2008 economic crash? Like that's something that came out. One of my one of my favorite uh, sources on this topic was uh, the book uh, "Wrong." It was called "Wrong: Why Experts Keep Failing Us and How to Know When Not to Trust Them" by David Freeman. Where this look at experts who are supposedly able to to advise public policy have a track record of, on the whole, being wrong. And, you know, this has been building for a time, but it really entered the public consciousness uh, starting at about, what was the third wave of COVID? 2020? I think so. Yeah, to yeah, me, was, to me, the third wave is really the, the sea change. Mm -hmm. So the, the Omicron wave? No, yeah, before that. It, it was before Omicron. No, I think Omicron was, it th was the third. Yeah, that's what I always think it was the third. But. Maybe. It was, it was uh, somewhere, I think it was before Omicron. Well, maybe. Anyway, you know what? Uh, you know what? I'll retract that because it was—it's kind of a gradual process. It's not yeah, like I can yeah, yeah. point to a day on the calendar. So yeah, I'm going to say it's a continuum in there. We're slowly building. But anyway, I'll throw that back to you guys. Or do you need me to? I see you're both kind of doing some research there. So I'll keep going on this. Keep carry on. Yeah. Um, this has been something that's been building, but again, it there is now uh, a broader lack of trust in experts and expert opinion now as a result of the COVID fiasco mm -hmm. that maybe, you know, like there was a certain amount of leeway that experts were given um, prior to 2019 that they simply do not have now. And there is a resentment, I think, within the expert class that they don't have the same prestige. They don't have the same um, uh, authority. 
moral authority mm -hmm. and they don't have the same um they don't have the same uh, uh social clout that they used to and there is a a resentment of that when i when i look at their kind of uh when i look at the their quotes in literature and whatnot the way they view themselves the academics are the primary source of our experts or academia the academy is our primary source of experts and when you look at their own internal communications um yeah i think that that's very prevalent where they they resent what they consider to be an anti-academic bias in in a lot of uh, say media or popular culture well, i i got a shitload of <laughs> let her rip buddy. let her rip okay so, I, I mean, you're right. Fauci came to mind immediately mm -hmm. as soon as we started talking. His about role this. in the whole thing, from at least from a North American perspective, I don't know how Europeans feel about this, but mm -hmm. he's certainly his role. He was certainly was, was outsized. He because, was a hot point. He was certain, such a hot point. Well, and I don't think our our chief medical officer for Canada, Theresa Tam, oh, Tam or yeah. Hinshaw, yeah, Alberta, none of them had. They had didn't really deviate meaningfully yeah. from his recommendations as no, far or from the no. scene. No, no as one. As far did. as I can tell, no so. so he had an outsized influence for sure. I think he did, yeah. He had a massive influence, yeah. right? So <clears throat> I, I'm gonna, I'll try and do this in, in a logical order, okay? Right, and respond to these things. But you know, um, first of all, we're living in anti-intellectual times. I'm not gonna, I'm as opposed to anti-academic. I think to mm -hmm. a certain extent, you know, if if you talk to me five, ten years ago. Mm -hmm. I had a problem with academia just mm -hmm. kind of kind of pontificating from the ivory towers and, yeah. and just it you know specifically in terms of climate change and stuff like that because you, you can't just declare shit mm -hmm. and you certainly can't declare it using scientific language mm -hmm. right or declare it, that the science is settled right yeah well that's ultimately the, I think your question right we'll get back to that more broadly right whether the science is settled or not like do, do we have to keep debating this because there's a time sensitivity to some of these things and so but we live in anti-intellectual times i think that's something that came with the trump administration with the rise of populism there's <coughs> this has got nothing to do with your comment it's my coffee <coughs> we, we live in, Sorry. in ugly times you know it's it's do you, you know, think and, and it started in 2016? I kind of think it started much earlier. I think so too. Yeah, I think it's. I, I think we've been building towards it. The <clears> anti-intellectualism, <throat> I think, definitely predates Trump. Definitely. Yeah, but he he certainly helped it along, right? He he made he embraced it, it. <clears throat> but there, yeah, he embraced. Well, he was the first had the leader audience. to embrace it. But I right? think that audience was ready to hear that. Well, yeah, that because message. that's what populism is. So it just kind of Way accelerated earlier. onto itself. But right? I think I, I think there was a lot. At least I think the or at least the left accusing. People of anti-intellectualism, even way back into the you know the yeah. into the Bush forty three administration. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? And I, he was, oh, he yeah. was like the ultimate yeah. anti-intellectual, right? Yeah, like, but I mean, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> as as a lot of people have pointed out, you know, the times we live in with the social media and you know, and everyone being able mm. to Google whatever <clears> they want, come up and and just interpret it into their own echo chamber if they so choose. Yeah, mm -hmm. and everyone seems to be doing that. that we that, live you know what that is. That is uh, a factor, isn't it? I, yeah, we didn't have access to just. That kind of information that we have today, like we didn't have access to that in 91. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you could go to the library and find it. Yeah. But it took hours because you had to find like and the book, the source, go find it on the shelf. Where now we just type it in and it's instantly to us. And the, we the other thing is when you had to read the book, you got a lot <clears> more context. Yeah. From as opposed to finding the paragraph in that you're looking for. That you're looking right. for. So the, well, I'm thinking more of a technical thing. But well, no, true, yeah. but but you can refine your search mm-hmm. with the terms that you use. You know, the internet at large is now geared to knowing you somewhat that when you it knows mm-hmm. you type in your specific things it, it knows, knows what, what you're, you're looking for find. so it's going to yeah. give you you know you're going to yeah. see the three or four things on your screen yeah right and again we're living in times where people are not trained for context or critical yeah. thought anymore it's all about being in your echo chamber and so this anti-intellectualism has reach the point where it's people are are just i know better right i because i think differently therefore and here's this thing that kind of reflects what i'm thinking i could very well be right and therefore i'm going to choose to be right Mm -hmm. and i'm going to refute anything that is contrary to what i'm saying and that is all over the place that's not just the woke i mean i'm seeing so much of that from the rest Okay. Yeah, we see that on both sides. I, of the I just, sure. I do want to say that, like my my hypothesis is isn't intended to be anti intellectual as much <clears> as it's 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 more like a an a, a policy formation by experts. No, as I, opposed and, to well, but it's more like uh, I, I, there's not a lot of epistemic humility. Yes, right? I would agree with you on that. Right, yep. and, and <clears> so maybe it's it, yep. understanding that you you need to just take what experts say. With a grain of salt. Oh, yes. absolutely. Right. Yes. And, and I guess to ask, or as, not to ask for. I'm just. It's to, uh, from my you know from my point of view, like that is why an open source individualistic mm-hmm. individuals as part of the collective decision method of decision making <clears throat> is better than the technocrat at the top. A bottom up decision making process is. We'll come to a better decision than a top-down one. Well, I, I, right? I generally I agree with you on that, like, and and there's there's no circumstances. And, and like which- some some somebody pointed out with um, maybe it was a Peterson podcast I was listening to recently. He said if you take like two two groups of ten mm-hmm. people specialized in the field, you fill one group with ten people who are all like experts. Yeah. In the mm-hmm. field, and you fill the second group with nine people who are experts and one person who doesn't know a thing about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The group of nine people will produce a better result than the group of the ten experts because they'll, they'll generate the better discussion. Of, in, in the process of having to explain it to the right. person who doesn't know anything, they work it out for themselves. Yeah, yeah. a lot. I, better. I totally believe that. How many times have you heard the phrase, especially in military circles, "If you want to learn something, teach it"? Yeah, because by having to break it down and absolutely. explain it, forcing you to do that absolutely reveals a new understanding to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, with you that. actually have to sense. go through the thought process, but yeah. of course. And and I, I think the reason we're discussing at the moment mm-hmm. anti-intellectualism, it's in context of what Patty brought up, yeah. right? But, it's not about your original question, right? Yeah. But it does play into things, right? And, and, and so since we ended up on, on the Fauci thing, um, you know, for me, <clears throat> oh man, getting back to the COVID thing, uh, 
I mean, it's, it was a seminal event. In the okay, seminal in event. the case, unfortunately, it's a reflection of the times we were living in, where we ended up with mm-hmm. it, right? In different times, like a hundred years ago, this wouldn't have been an issue, right? My first question is, who else are you going to turn to? Second of all, you know, with the seriousness of the implications, mm-hmm. right? There was a time sensitive sensitivity to it, right? So. There's the potential that we're looking at a very serious problem and we need a very mm-hmm. serious solution and we need it quickly, right? We don't have time to debate, right? This was a thankless fucking task. It's better, it was better, in my opinion, it will always have been better to overreact than underreact to it, at least until there was some understanding. Now, looking back at it, yeah, I, from the, the limited experience that I had of COVID, mm-hmm. It is my general impression, based on nothing at all, that maybe we overreacted. I, I, yeah, right? see, and I, I, I would disagree with you all on your always better. I think if, I I'm think gonna, if you if you look statistically, if you go back through, through things, it's it's almost always like there'll be one time maybe there'll be an extinction level event that you need. Yeah, but almost always it's better to do nothing. I think, I think I Trent had a good. Like he had a really good qualification at the end of it, that it was better to overreact. In other words, it was a precautionary principle. Let's play it safe. Let's overreact until we have more info, and you know to to make a better decision. Yeah. And that's where the wheels fell off. The wheels fell off. Yeah. The yeah. more info came in. In other words, we had enough experience with the lockdown to know it's not helping. We yeah. had enough experience with school closures to know they're not helping. We had enough experience with masks to know they're not helping. And we also knew that they had negative consequences in other fields. Yeah. But the experts, the public health authorities, doubled down and refused to admit they were wrong. And, and again, that's it, where the problem Again, was. to throw my priors out there, it seems to me like the, the, the biggest lack of epistemic humility is in the public sector. Like when was the last time, especially in messaging, Right especially in messaging when nobody, when was the last time okay. you, you heard a, a, an elected leader admit mm-hmm. a mistake? Yes. Right. To be fair, the vast majority of experts are in the public sector. Yeah. I well, mean, the, the, the nature the ones, of public sector work is what attracts experts, right? But yeah. that, well, that's, uh, that's who we turn to in, in but, an example but I never, like this, I've never, right? like I've never. Or that's, that's what the public sector is drawn to is experts. Private sector has a different form of problem solving. Yeah, but I mean, in part, answer what you're saying. Well, I mean, and, and that in, a pri- is- in a private sector, a, a company that made a, makes a mistake and just keep makes keeps making it doesn't last. They don't last, right? If they want to, if they don't have the ability to say, okay, this is That's wrong, right. we got to change course. It's gone. And they it get much faster feedback. Yeah, and that the quarterly balance sheet comes out, you know right away <laughs> what you're doing is working or not. Yeah. Whereas the public sector is immune to that. Yeah. But in answer to what you were saying about, okay, when was the last time a, a, a political leader admitted a mistake? They don't. They don't. They don't. And that's don't. part of the times we live in. And that started, and I think we've discussed this before. I saw <clears throat> it started happening with Bush 1 uh, saying, if you're not with us, you're against us. Um, like in relation I, to... I think that was in relation to... I'm pretty sure it was Bush 1, and it was in relation to... I think it was it was, uh, it was 2. Was, was it Bush 2? Was it Bush 2? It was about 2 when he wanted to invade Iraq. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that's how I remember. And the only reason I know that is because it came up on another podcast. Uh, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, when he was campaigning... Well, then I saw before that, or around the same time with Chrétien, 
um, you know, Chrétien was the first sign I saw that he would only respond to something if it, if public opinion was significantly turning against him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I first started to see that. Um, and now that the times we live in, the politics are such that no one can make a mistake because the opposition is all about the other guy. It's always all about the other. There is no integrity in politics anymore, right? It's, you know, and this is what, it pisses was me off about the ever, left or the right. Well, was there ever? There was, there was a certain amount of honor to it. Really? Back in the day. When? Right? Like? Uh, back in the 80s and 90s. You okay. talk to the politicians back then. Give me <clears> names. <throat> Clark. Clark. Joe Clark has mentioned it. Why? What, what did he do that was so honorable? Other than consistently <clears throat> no, and reliably losing. And Mulroney spoke about it. They, they both spoke Mulroney! about the same thing. They both spoke about the same thing. Hang on. That dude was... Okay. Okay. <laughs> right? <clears throat> Choke it back. Okay. <laughs> I've heard it from liberals. I've heard it... He's a, Mulroney was a crook, as crooked as a scoliotic snake. Oh, he was crooked <laughs> as a dog's hind leg. They talked about... Th- there, was, there was a dignity to the process. There was a respect to the process. Um, and politics, you know, in my experience back in the day, was it was issue driven mm-hmm. and it was results driven, right? So if if there was something that like a government did, even if you were typically on the other side of the aisle, you weren't hammering away at stuff. You you could admit that like this you, thing, you this thing was okay for the sake of opposition. Yes, right. I would struggle to think of a single era like that. I can't imagine one. Yeah, I just, I don't remember it being as ugly as these days. Like, you know, everything's about, it, it's about well, the appearance. It, it, it's it's about- uglier now because the narrative is different. The narrative has now become, if you're not on my side, you're evil. Yeah. Yes. Right. And the we, narrative we was always that. We break it down to morality. Yeah. Whereas in the past, it was about effectiveness. So yeah, you can say in, in, yeah, in yeah. the 80s, 80s, 90s, 70s, 60s, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah it was. My, our, my friend in the opposition, we disagree. Yes, about, right? yes, yeah, and yes. It, today, so, so now politics is and framed and in moral terms. And yeah. you'd say, and you saw it this past week when uh, they were talking about the uh, uh, the Chinese influence uh, on the yeah. candidates and and certain campaigns, right? In the rhetoric that was being thrown around, you like it, it, it's it's this. I won't even call it passion. It's just this vitriolic anger being thrown back and forth, and it's just insulting the other side, right? And it's gotten to the point where I'll see a headline for a National Post article, and just the way it's that the headline is worded mm-hmm. is like Trudeau this, that, and the other fucking thing. I'm like, well, of course you're going to say that because you're the National Post, and this is how you see Trudeau, right? The worst I'm part not, is lately I, I've been seeing articles in the Globe and Mail that I thought would be National Post headlines. Yeah, yeah, that is quite surprising. Yeah. How what normally friendly liberal. Oh, like, the, the Globe, I've noticed a lot of that in uh, the last How they've really years. turned on Trudeau big yeah. time. Anyway, sorry. Right. That, that's a digression. But yeah, that's what we do. Yes. Um, sorry. You were, Swiss, you were talking Swiss about the vitriolic, uh, the, the, well, the pure partisanship you know, of like, politics today. I, I, as, as you guys know, I'll admit, I'm not a huge fan of mm-hmm. Trudeau the Younger now. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't, I, I don't like his governing style. <clears throat> I think he's swell. Um, <laughs> no, you don't. Um, okay, I like but, my dog, <laughs> but I don't. You know, I've got no time for just this incessant whatever. You know, I'm gonna find whatever I can 
it, because it to down or to cut down Trudeau, right? If you're just looking for stuff to cut down Trudeau, stick to the stuff that actually matters. Like don't don't yeah. go looking for stuff. Don't go you making don't issues. Think right? That the Chinese interference I do. matters. I do. Right, and and I I don't think he's handled it very well, but. When the National Post has a point to make mm-hmm. that I agree with, it gets lost in, I'm just used to Poiliev. I'm used to mm-hmm. uh, the Conservative Party. I'm used to Conservative supporters. I'm just used <clears throat> to everyone just, you know, you know Trudeau's bad. And, and, and it's gotten down to Trump, Trump-like insults nowadays. It's just, just people just... You know, just questioning his parentage. Oh, like Castro was his father, and it's like, for fuck's sake, really? Trump, like, this what would what... the Trump nickname for Trudeau be? Castro Junior? Oh, probably Junior Castro. <laughs> little Fidel. Yeah, little, little Fidel. Little probably. Fidel. Yeah, probably something like that. Probably. <laughs> um, I mean, these are just the times we live, and in a lot of ways, it's giving the people what they want. You, you've got we're so polarized. People are just looking for stuff to to jump on look at something to feed on it's a fucking feeding frenzy these days you know um so yeah is there a getting back to your question is there a politician who's admitted anything no because if you admit you're wrong these days in the, in the social media age you are going to get lacerated i, uh, I we... think what i would have liked to have seen mm-hmm. just as using covid as an example yeah. of because yeah. because covid was a quickly evolving situation yeah if the premier had said okay uh, so Dr. Henshaw will give a briefing every day and every Wednesday I'll get up and after being in consultation with everyone, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll do mm-hmm. the press conference of what we thought to be true, but we no longer believe to be true about right. this because this is an evolving situation. So, yeah. so, so be, every Wednesday would be the, this is what we were wrong about. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, would have been nice. Right. That, I think that would have been refreshing. That would have been absolutely. And nobody would have faulted him for that. Right? I, I well, do think. No one should. I think plenty of people would. He would have gotten hammered left and right, like he eventually ended up being hammered left and right anyway. Yeah, but he didn't admit any of the things he did. Was Like he didn't admit to his, like you're talking about Kenny at the time? Yeah. Um, I actually felt sorry for him. Yeah, he didn't. He was in a rough spot. He would not uh, admit that he misplayed items. And yeah. had he done so, he probably uh, he probably would have done better, I think. Yeah, but I don't think like that's in it, that better. that was in his personality, right? Like his, no, but to be honest, no premier did. No premier ever came up. Like who was the but, fellow? In, uh, yeah. Quebec had a singular disaster with uh, the way they were handling uh, um, seniors' homes. Oh yeah, and the infections in Quebec in there, or the infection rate in there. Like they had to call in the military. I, I recall, wasn't yeah. it in Quebec? Yeah. Um, did was it Legault who was a premier at that time? I can't remember. Um, as I, re- I, don't I try recall, not to follow Quebec politics. I don't recall a single. Je Quebec, m'en fout. I don't. I don't recall a single Quebec official, either in their public health or in their uh, or in their legislature, saying, "Yeah, we did. We did that wrong, and we're not going to make that mistake again." Or this is the change we're going to make in relation to this. They no. They just refused to admit they had done anything or not wrong is in a moral sense that they had made a bad call or that they had wrong information or they had extrapolated incorrectly from the available information it depends i think it depends on what you're talking about the example of um their their seniors senior care and i can't remember their senior care but say just covid mandated cover covid in general 
I cannot think of a single public health official globally who came out and said, yeah, we did that wrong. We're going to change this policy now. Not one. I can't think of one. Yeah, other than like, you know, like, uh, well, they never they never admitted to being wrong, but I guess, uh, like, you know, Florida and Texas opened up much quicker yes. than everyone else. Yes. And, and in hindsight, that was the right decision. Yeah. So it wasn't a matter that they had anything wrong to be wrong about. Yeah, they, like, were, they, they were always proactively like, we don't think this narrative is right. I don't thing. recall yeah. anybody in New York saying, yeah, we made a mistake. I don't recall anybody in California no. saying, yeah, we did that wrong. I don't recall anybody in Ontario, BC, Alberta, anybody saying, you know well, what? Locking down the schools was completely counterproductive, caused yeah. a lot of harm, and achieved nothing. Other okay. than the Swedes will rule the world because yeah. their kids are all yeah. the year ahead of everybody. The only, like, what I am hearing is calls from that side of society which said, no, we, we must put our faith in the experts and, and really, really, really double down on those policies. There, I hear from them saying, well, we want a COVID amnesty. We want amnesty for the harm we caused in public policy. Yeah. That's the closest I'm seeing now to an admission of wrong, after, you know. But that's, what, two years after the fact? Mm-hmm. Like, now we're closing that barn door way after the horse has left. Yeah, horse well, over the horse. Yeah. Yeah. See, for me, it's still... And it's not an apology. <clears throat> it's 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 a call for absolution. Yeah. Where, yeah. To me, it's, it's still an open question. Like, a lot of the statements you guys are making, mm-hmm. like... Everything was wrong, and you know, like like these are all proven done well, not, deals. Not I, everything. I'm not convinced. I didn't say everything. I said convinced. three very specific right? things: lockdowns, school closures, masking. I, three very, very, very specific things, and I can say I can say with a 100 percent confidence mm-hmm. they were wrong. They were not just wrong; they were spectacularly wrong. Yeah. The harm caused by those lockdowns, particularly to the working class, was massive. It was massive. And then you go back to the idea of, like, say, the public sector. Um, I'm going to expand that to the white-collar class who was able to work from home. Mm-hmm. They were completely unaware of the damage that they were causing to the working class. Yeah. And, in fact, they kind of thrived because now they cut down on their commutes. They didn't have the cost of having to go into the office. They were able to look after their children in their homes. Yep. Uh, so they were now with the school closures didn't bother them. The working class now had to find childcare because they couldn't work from home unless they lost their job, yeah. which caused a massive hardship in and of itself. And there was a refusal of this of the expert class and the 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 affiliated white collar professional class to even consider that they were wrong. And by that third wave era. You know, by the end of say, like, you know, by around 2020, 2021 in there, COVID policy had nothing to do with cutting down transmission rates and cutting down fatality rates. It was about making these peasants bend the knee. No. It was about obedience. It was about putting down, it was about, you do not challenge my authority as an expert. You do what you're told. Like that guy in Calgary, ice skating on a rink outside by himself and he gets arrested i mean these are infamous examples this guy in ottawa who takes his dog out just to let his dog urinate in the parking lot by himself he gets uh, like a 400 hundred dollar ticket you're telling me that wasn't about bending the knee 
You're telling me that wasn't about the administrative state pushing back on on uh, on, on, on resistance. There's other examples, even in California, like there was guys yeah. like paddleboarding by themselves off the you know yeah. off the beach. Sheriffs rock up in, the, yeah. in, the, in their boat and and give them oh. tickets. You're telling me like, that wasn't about okay. enforcing obedience. Okay. You're telling me that wasn't about uh, power and control. Okay, let me know when the rant's over, and I'll start answering. Right. I was it possibly right. So every once in a while, you get officious, petty little bureaucrats. So that's one possibility, mm-hmm. right? Was this happening across the board? Probably not. Were there lots of people probably taking their dogs out, stepping outside in the parking lots? Yes, probably. Yeah. Right? Well, so I there's mean, people got to live, right? Right. The paddleboarding one, to me, is an interesting one, right? It's not about that one person, right? It is about, and don't jump on the, mm-hmm. uh, on the next part of the statement right away, mm-hmm. okay? It becomes, okay, if one person is seen doing this without... <clears throat> any consequences, then all of a sudden we might have a whole beach full of people and that's what we're seeking to avoid, right? So it's not about the one guy out paddling on his own. Obviously, that's not a problem, right? It's, so now so we get, now it we get back. It was about enforcing obedience. It wasn't about making sense. It wasn't about good policy. Well, no. It in was, that, look, in we that know one, we've got a bad policy. We don't care. No. You do what no, you're told. That's why that's why I specified specifically regarding the Palaborg mm-hmm. guy, right? If the policy and that, let's mm-hmm. let's assume for a moment yeah. that the policy is sound. Right? That just, is an just assumption. For a second. Oh, okay, okay. Just, just okay. for the sake of this conversation. Okay. okay. All right. The assumption of the policy is that the policy is sound. Okay. Right. And we don't want people congregating because that's right. That okay. generates transmission I'm of the on your disease. Page now. Okay? okay. Therefore, one guy paddle boarding isn't a problem. Right. Right. But if one guy okay. is out there not having consequences to his paddle boarding, then another guy will. Okay. He'll go, I sure. feel like paddle boarding yep, too. I get you. Next getcha. thing you know, we've got a whole beach okay. full of people. I get you. All right. So now I, I find it difficult to agree with the statements that these policies were like lockdown. I understand. Uh, I'll re- step back a bit. I understand the lockdown was horrendous economically, mm-hmm. particularly for blue collar workers. I get it, right? I I have yet to be convinced that the lockdown was uh, pointless and ineffective, right? Because you cannot prove a negative. Right, it, it will always be impossible to prove what harm may have been or not mm-hmm. may or may not have been prevented by undergoing the lockdown. There's two, I, two I uh, totally disagree with two that. problems with your argument. Yeah, the first one is Sweden, and the second one is uh, the BLM protests. Yeah, the other thing is we could tell like there's not a single jurisdiction on the planet where I could give you a map showing their case rates and say, okay, you tell me where they started lockdowns. There's not a single jurisdiction where you can do that. The, the transmission rates and the fatality rates were completely independent of lockdowns. And this is my point, that by the time the first and second wave had come and gone, mm-hmm. like you said, the assumption was that, look, let's assume the policy is sound. And I mm-hmm. think everyone did that yeah. in 2019. 
because again, we, we didn't know what we were dealing with and we took the precautionary principle. And I think we didn't see any of this resistance to the lockdowns when they first came out. But by the time we had gone over the first hump, like remember, flattened the curve. Well, mm-hmm. the curve never flattened. It just burned itself out. And then when the second wave began to come, there's plenty of evidence out there. Everyone can see this for themselves. The lockdowns didn't help. So now we can't make the assumption that the policy is good. We have enough evidence, obvious. It's like the the rising of the sun in the morning. The lockdowns are not helping. Now, whether or not they cause a lot of harm or a little bit of harm is kind of a moot point because they're not helping. So why are we still doing them? And that's why I'm saying it became about bending the knee. So uh, we, we, the ruling class, have made a decision. We don't care whether or not it's right. We don't care whether or not it's wrong. We don't care if it's meeting the original intent. It's about protecting our uh, position as rulers. I don't, I don't see anything. I, I see no disconnect at any point. I don't see any uh, enforcement of authority that was not directly linked to a, at least a belief that the policy was sound in its intent. Even, and it, and the, even by the, third wave, even by Omicron? <clears throat> again, I do not have the data at this point to say... You don't need data. You were around. You had your eyes open. Even in your own life. Could you see any benefit? Again, I don't know. I, I can say this. I don't know how you could I, know. Do, I don't think I caught COVID. Mm-hmm. If I did... I don't seem to have died from it, mm-hmm. and I don't seem to have transmitted it to anyone right. who also died mm-hmm. from it, right? Like, I can say those things, right? <clears throat> I do know that I stayed in lockdown mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time. I do know that when mask mandates ended both times, mm-hmm. I was very happy, you know? Um, you know, but... It, I am not convinced that the lockdown did not achieve anything because if nothing else, as I said, there is no way to prove that. Now, in response to what you said, Steve, regarding Sweden, what is the comparative data, right? So are we talking simply that, okay, Sweden didn't didn't have a lockdown and I know there was a lot of politicization of the Swedish approach and I I started seeing stuff in the media from both sides saying... This is a shining example of how it can yep. be done. And then this is um, an unmitigated side. disaster. And, yeah. and, and they're just losing people yeah. hand over fist. Yeah. Right? So I, I, I saw stories from both sides. Yeah. So with that in mind, did they have a higher rate of fatality compared to other societies? And is this simply a matter of saying, you know, the Swedes saying, we have an acceptable death rate right. that we're willing to live with? As I recall, looking at the Johns Hopkins COVID tracker, and this is where some of the, it, it, you know, like the, the polarization of it. In comparison to Denmark and Norway, Sweden had worse numbers. Okay. In comparison to everywhere else in Europe, especially the major transit nodes, they had far better numbers. Okay. So it depends on who you want to, who you want to compare them to. Okay. So, so that raises the what, what, yeah. what were the other Scandinavians doing? What were Denmark and Norway doing that's 
Sweden and the rest of Europe weren't? Well, um, Denmark and Norway weren't particularly different in their measures than the rest of Europe. Sweden was the only outlier. Okay. Uh, for example, Denmark and Norway had the same measures as England, but okay. the UK had far worse numbers. Uh, Germany wasn't doing anything substantially different than, say, France, Denmark, and Holland, but they all had, f- or, and England, England had worse, the UK had worse numbers than everybody. Right. But England, or the UK, wasn't really doing anything that much different than, say, the Republic of Ireland. But the Republic of Ireland had much better numbers. I would, also, I would say that a, a major factor in that is that the UK remained a major transit hub. People are coming and going, transiting mm-hmm. in and out of the UK and Sweden and, um, say, Germany, much more than they are out of Denmark, Norway, and Ireland. Well, I'd, I'd say I'd agree with that whole list except Sweden. I mean, who's traveling through Sweden? You don't really uh, go to uh, Finland and Norway direct. You usually have to change over in Orlando. Okay, so and seems- Sweden, all of the, the major export and land transportation networks generally go through Sweden to cross the Bornholm Strait. Where are Sweden's numbers on here? Uh for example, if you're trucking something out of, or you're trucking something into Oslo, so you're going through Sweden. Your key numbers here are the total cases per 1 million and deaths per 1 million. Okay, where, 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 where? You see where the cursor is? For the audience here, uh, uh, Steve's pulled up our worldmeters.info coronavirus numbers. Test, total test, deaths, and, and we're total trying cases to, per million. Have you deaths even got Sweden? Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm right there. Yep. 2,000 per million, 2,300 per million. Okay. So where is your uh, total per million? Tests per million, total test, deathbed, deaths per million, total cases per million, deaths 264. And then if you compare it, I don't know, is there somebody else? Okay, so. so Holy shit, pers- their actual numbers are actually less in Denmark. Denmark's mm-hmm. at. Just two above them. They're what five forty four three twelve. So trying to get these uh, numbers some deaths, context. Deaths per million is about uh, half of what Sweden's is, though. Ah, uh, but Sweden's population. Um, Sweden did have. But that's um, per, that's per million. That's deaths per million. Yeah, they also had. Uh, there was some complication with uh, their seniors. Really got a bad right bad shot at it. But I'm also looking at uh, at uh, total cases. You know, I look so at that, deaths that's per cases. Not, the deaths per cases ratio yeah. for Sweden is about ten percent. For yeah. Denmark, it's way below that one. But also, s- your deaths point two percent. Your deaths is going to have more to do with your medical practice. Once, like once someone's caught the disease, yeah, it's not about your lockdown and your masks anymore. It's about how they're treated in the hospital. So Denmark. So had, that's why I look at total cases. If you're going to evaluate effectiveness of mask, like prophylactic preventative measures, the only the only thing that's relevant is total cases. Deaths is irrelevant at that point because the guy's already got the disease. Yeah. Okay. For example, if I get the disease and uh, I receive better treatment and I survive. Then a guy who has, say, uh, doesn't have access to that treatment and he dies. That's really got, that's neither, that, that's here nor there. 
with our preventative measures. Both of our preventative measures yeah, failed. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because if you're looking the per 1 million, yeah. uh, Sweden is 264,150 infections per 1 million yeah. population. Where whereas Denmark, Denmark is 544,312. That's like double. Per 1 million population. Yeah. And that's with measures. Yeah, and they, they went the, the full, like they had much more stringent measures than, than Sweden did. Where's Norway? Norway's down here. Yeah, try Finland is what, 263? So Finland's similar to Sweden. Norway did okay. Now. Yeah, Norway's very similar to Sweden. Yeah, 268, 268,000. Yeah, so I think there's, uh, Sweden is slightly better, just tiny bit. Yeah, so essentially it's a wash. Well, yeah, Sweden it's is a wash. Sweden is so it's actually Norway. more, it's more the deaths? Yeah, that's where Sweden's, yeah. yeah. So probably an, an older population perhaps. Yes, yeah, and Sweden does have a slightly older population. And so. Sweden compared to Canada had roughly, roughly twice the case rate per million. Uh, where's Canada? Where's Canada? Oops. Dum, 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 dum. Scrolling down. Yeah, unfortunately, this isn't an alphabetical. There we are, near the bottom of the oh, screen. There we are, 4.6. Yes, they had about, well, not twice, <laughs> about so, about maybe. No, they had, no, they had half. 264 to 119? So Sweden had half the cases we did per million. No, we had half the cases. We had half the cases we per, per, per million cases Sweden. that Sweden did. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong yeah. column. Yeah. yeah, we had about, we had about half. So. But again, Sweden did better than the rest of Europe. I mean, most of Europe's up around the 400,000 mark. But that could also be explained by higher population densities. Yeah, yeah I, I would think, yeah. Yeah, that could be, I mean, that, that would have an effect on it. And like you said, transit points. Like, yeah, I'm and transit Germany, points. like yeah. where's the UK only? Like yeah. look at Thailand, um, where they, you know, they had a fraction of what we had. But they don't have the same medical system that we. They didn't have the same ability to kind of uh, social organization to enforce measures, public health measures. Yeah. UK, UK was three hundred fifty-six thousand per yeah. one sixty-five. Germany yeah. was four hundred fifty-six thousand. Yeah. Per one million total cases. But actually, if you look at, uh, actually, I was looking at this. Karen and I were looking at uh, data on flights through Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. Right. Compared yeah. to the population that they've got there, it is like. Light years ahead of, you know, the, the volume of people, people coming that in going and in and out of yeah. Frankfurt, yeah, uh, is astounding compared yeah. to so you, what you expect compared to going through Heathrow because London's mm -hmm. a, a, yeah, it's a major a transit me hub, yeah. megapolis, yeah. right? Yeah, but, but yeah, Frankfurt but, is but Frankfurt is a hub yeah. for one of the biggest airline alliances. It's yeah. the European hub, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Frankfurt's a massive. Air traffic corridor. Like Heathrow's, yeah, it, Heathrow's yeah. like a sub hub for the same. Almost, lines, yeah, right? almost now. Yeah. And then Schiphol is the other yeah. big one. Well, Schiphol and Charles de Gaulle. Charles de Gaulle. Yeah. But Charles de Gaulle is kind of only the hub for Air France. Yeah. And Schiphol yeah. is is kind of the, the hub for is yeah. for KLM. I, I have I've yet to you know look at taking a flight through CDG, like you know it's always it's always Frankfurt. It's Schiphol. an odd airport. It's, it's a, a what? It's an odd airport. Is it? A non-airport. No, it's an odd airport. Oh, odd airport. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've been there. It's uh, yeah. when we went to France anyway, a few years ago. So, All right. So interesting data on Sweden. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's what I mean. Like this right. sort of information was available midway through. Like after the, after, like uh, into the second wave, we were able to say for certain this measure is not having the desired effect. So let's re-examine. Why are we doing it? We know that it comes with costs. It comes with no benefits. So why are we doing it? Yeah. 
And there was such resistance and pushback from those experts. I know you don't question us. Look at like look. I don't think look that's Australia's four hundred thirty-six thousand per per million. And cases. they went and their insane. lockdown was hardcore. Yeah, especially and now everybody said, "Oh, it's all Australia." And Australia's Australia's lockdowns were were yeah. very much state dependent. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, and Victoria yeah, but, Victoria yeah. locked down the hardest core, and that's yeah. usually what made the news. Yeah, but uh, still the Northern Territory numbers. locked down pretty hardcore too. Yeah. I mean, where's, look, look at their numbers. New where's New Zealand? There's clearly no benefit. And then I'll stop asking. There's clearly no benefit to what Australia did. There you are. New Zealand. Well, yeah. So comparable. 454,000. comparable. Per hundred, or almost 455,000 per, per yeah. million. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. Part of, part of the right. problem was, I remember, uh, I think it was an uh, Australian guy, uh, Josh, Josh Zepps, mm-hmm. kind of explained it. He said Australia Australia was was locking down more hardcore because they were kind of like uh, a genetic mutation behind everybody, and, in and terms it, of the disease. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, and so like the world had locked down, and then Australia didn't mm-hmm. because they were they were, like they closed. I think they, they were, were able to wall relied off on quarantine. Yeah, yeah, they relied on quarantine a lot more of, of foreigners, and so they locked yeah. they like they locked down international travel, but they didn't have internal lockdowns very hard. Yeah, initially, and that, and that got them through like the first wave. Yeah, with with I, without I much difficulty. Yeah. I think New Zealand had kind of had a similar policy. Yeah, and then uh, but then once the second wave started to hit, they really hit them hard because yeah. and they didn't have any accumulated immunity from the first wave that other countries yeah, they had. Just didn't have the same amount. Yeah. So they didn't have the same exposure rate in the first rate yeah. as the, in the first wave is. But like, this is, this is kind of where my, my point is uh, about the, the backlash against expert experts and expertise, uh, manifested to the public health authorities mm-hmm. in that the people who are on the pointy end of these things, the people who were suffering, mm-hmm. uh, because of these lockdowns, because of these mandates, whose, whose children were facing, uh, like particularly young children, Mm-hmm. You know, who you could see the developmental uh, delays, you know, because of the reliance on masks and the, and the lack of socialization where they were cut off, you know, uh, from their, their mates because of, uh, of school closures, like those big three things. The people who are literally counting the days until these mandates are lifted, um, it was, demonst- it was demonstrable. It was obvious to them that we're not having the effect we wanted. And there was such resistance, wh- whatever the motivation was, there was a massive amount of resistance from the people who created and enforced those policies. That this is where, I think this is the genesis of where we're at today, where there is a, a suspicion, a mistrust of expertise, particularly within our, our public sector. Well, I think as discussed, I mean, the, the, the anti-intellectual has been around for a while and mm-hmm. we, we're polarized on so many things. So here's a hypothetical back for you. Let's mm-hmm. say by some miracle, some expert, some politician did apologize, yeah. did, mm-hmm. admit, did admit that they were wrong. Yeah. Yes, listen, yeah, we, were wrong. we did this and we did it for these reasons and... Because it's our responsibility to provide. Yep. We did. That, we made that the guidance. best decision we could with the yeah, information exactly. we had at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and turns out it was overblown. Right. Now, 
How receptive are people going to be to that? I think they would have been very receptive. They would have been? I think they would have been, yeah. I think so, too. In the same way that... It's a demonstration of good faith. Yeah, because in, is... in the first wave, everybody was on board. Like, there was all, there was massive buy-in because we all realized that, look, man, we've never done this before. Yeah, this this could be huge. Yeah, This could be huge. Um, we're all in this together. Yeah. You know, there was, there was a, a, a viral image of uh, when the northern part of Italy locked down. Oh, uh, is, this, is this okay? Go ahead. They were one of the first places in Europe that was really heavily hit, and uh, it was, of course, uh, you know, very high density housing, and it was uh, warm enough that people could open their windows, and people were singing a folk song to one another in this Italian neighborhood. Yeah, and it was an incredibly moving piece of piece oh, of yeah. video. Right, there was that that atmosphere. And people were willing to give the benefit of the doubt. Like what you said, like, look, let's let's maybe, let's not nickel and dime this. Let's not take an incremental wait and see approach. Mm-hmm. Let's, because the consequences of failure are fatal. Mm-hmm. So let's really do, like, let's buy in. And so they embraced lockdowns. They mm-hmm. embraced masking. They embraced social distancing because they, they, they were willing to give the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. I think it was only after the second wave. It was really in full swing when people began to say, okay, you have enough data now. You was have there, enough okay. information. See, that's what I don't know. Is there enough data? It. I know that three years on, we're looking at these numbers and I'm mm-hmm. looking at these and I'm going, okay, seems legit, right? What seems legit? These numbers seem legit. You know, Steve's point mm-hmm. about Sweden yep. kind of yep. points out the fact that... It didn't hurt them. Let's put it this way. It didn't hurt them. It same thing with Florida, right? Florida and Texas. Like you can look at their their case rates; it didn't hurt them. Okay, so yeah, yeah. like for for the the fifty U.S. states, Florida sits almost exactly in the middle as yeah. far as mortality and and case rates and case rates. Yeah. yeah. All right. So answering your question, because I heard it actually in a different way. Your question is: nobody came out and said we were wrong. We could have done this differently. Yeah. And, right. and we're going to change our policy. And, and Steve has raised the, the very interesting hypothetical. What if the premier had done this, mm-hmm. right? Had come out and said, okay, all right, this is what we know now. Yep. We can do X. Yep. I think actually in some ways he may have tried that along the way. But I think the, the whole... Begrudgingly and half-heartedly. The whole thing had, had become, had gained a momentum all its own. I think that's part of it, again, that the hysteria was there, right? And so the, people were buying into it on one side. Like wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. oh my God, we need to freak out. Uh, we're all going to die, man. And mm-hmm. then on the other hand, you've got people who are like, this is all bullshit and, and, and none of it yeah. being particularly informed, mm-hmm. right? I would question whether, again, I don't think politically anyone can step up these days and say, uh, I'm wrong about anything. Um, and the other thing I heard you say is, and since no mm. one said that, yeah, right now, and I guess that that's kind of what I was answering because if someone came out and admitted that now, right, they're not doing themselves any favor, right? What the credibility that they should get for that that you've pointed out that did I send you guys an article uh, from a, a doctor who ish was issuing a mea culpa? Did I send you guys that? 
I don't remember anything. I thought I emailed you guys a link to you, it. You might have. I can't remember. Where it was a, a doctor who, who did say that, yeah, like I was wrong. I was totally wrong about how Either you I, said I something to, to or I've it. seen something recently. Yeah. And, uh, and he was saying that, yeah, we need to really re-examine how we do public health. Uh how we become more receptive to feedback from patients and the public that, um, yeah, that we really refuse to modify. Like we were, we were too arrogant. We were too sure of ourselves and, you know, we lost the plot. Well, but mind you, he's not a political leader. He was, he was a medical practitioner. The the other thing that we're looking at is like, uh, Jay Bhattacharya has been making the rounds on the podcast network lately. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like most of the data coming out lately seems to vindicate yes. the, signature, the, side, yes. the signatures of the, the Great Barrington, Barrington Declaration, yeah. right? Yeah. But they were so horrifically demonized. Oh, were they ever. Who's this? The, uh, signa- the authors, the three authors of the Barrington Declaration. I don't even know what that is. Which is. I was just which looking for Lance's uh, email. I can't find it. Um, okay, Steve. Um, so it was, it, is. it was a bunch of. Uh, of uh, uh, medical professionals, and three prominent ones. Three prominent ones. Bhattacharya was one of them. Jay, yeah, Jay Bhattacharya is the most prominent. I can't remember the other two. You know what? You keep talking. I'm going to look that up. Okay. I will do that while I will anyway, cover they, for you. They, they, this time. they convened a, a, a conference because it wasn't just them. That's right. Right, and there were thousands of signatories to it. Yeah, they were the authors. But they were the authors of it. But it was after they convened a conference of like a, a couple hundred people in a place yeah. called Great Barrington, Massachusetts, yeah. which is why it's called the Great Barrington Desert. And they were looking at the data available at the time, and they were basically like, look, we need to protect the vulnerable and open up the rest of society, right? And we're, who we're seeing as the vulnerable? People who are immunocompromised and the elderly, mostly, mm. right? And, yeah. and people with severe comorbidities. So those people need to focus our protection on those and let everybody else mm-hmm. get back to their lives, you know, okay. right? And they were excoriated for it. Um, they've been talking lately about email, like, they issued the declaration, and like Jay Bhattacharya is not nobody, right? Like he's yeah, he's a very, one of a world renowned. <laughs> yeah, he's economist, and and uh, I can't remember what his medical specialty is. Um, okay, but I got it. Uh, it. The three primary offers: Sunetra Gupta, Sunetra Gupta, right, uh, from the University of Oxford, yeah. Martin Kuldekorf from Harvard University, yeah, and Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford, Stanford Medical. I've never heard of any of these schools. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oxford. Three yeah, guys. Where the hell's Oxford? Three guys from those three places? Like, come yeah. on. That's like Bob Jones University, man. Who the hell has heard of Harvard? And so, and so, Harvard, it, yeah. Oxford, and Stanford. In fairness, was it not... Podunk schools and podunk towns. Was it not... Uh, who's that guy? Uh, William Buckley, who said he would sooner trust the first 400 names of the Boston Telephone Directory with public policy than the Harvard faculty. <laughs> Fair enough. So okay, you're not you're not out of out of school for saying that. Anyway, yeah. go on. But anyway, yeah, they were scoring. Like they they issued, were they, they were, were they issued the declaration, and there's been a chain of emails that came out in congressional hearings, um, and it was like fa- from Fauci to yep. directors of the NIH to all these people saying we got to cut these guys off the knees. This message can't get out. Basically, yep. and so they just okay, but okay, but why? What? Why? Because it comp- you competed with the narrative. Yeah. It was, it, it was contrary yeah. to the official government narrative. Okay. The, the only, like the way it's, I'm not, I'm not quoting anyone here. It just the way I recall it was the official narrative was the only acceptable 
um, form of uh, reaction to COVID was vaccination. Yeah. That was it. You were not allowed to talk about treatment. We're not allowed to talk about drug therapies. We are not allowed to talk about respiratory therapies. Therapies. We're not allowed to talk about focus protection. It was lockdown, mask, vaccination. That's it. And if you're either with us or if you're not with us, you're against us. Yeah. Because why? Well, you've already rejected my uh, my thought on that. Let's let Steve, you take a shot at him. Authority for its own sake? No. Yeah. That they were, it was hubris and arrogance. And they could not bring themselves to accept that they could be wrong. And when, when Fauci went up in front of Congress, testified in Congress, and literally said the words, I am science. Yeah. Right? Like, that was telling. That's a, that's a that direct was quote. Telling. Like he, that's, not, that's not hyperbole. It's not made up. He literally yeah. said those words in front of Congress yeah. on television. You're like, eh, this guy be a guy okay. with what, lacking in humility. At yeah. what point of the proceedings was this? Like, how far into the pandemic? That was 2021. Was it? Yeah. Dum, 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 dum. Maybe early 2020. No, I think it was 2021. I don't know right off the top of my head. I, I've, I've already closed that window, so I couldn't tell you when it was. But it was far enough into it. Yeah, it was about around second wave, well, wasn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> You you raised some very con- convincing arguments. I mean, it, you it, know, it's, I can, we, like I said, I don't think a, either it, of us can give you a smoking gun saying it's oh these people are authoritarians and um, this is why. But it's just a the trend of behavior. Yeah, yeah, and you know the circumstantial evidence, whatever you want to call it. Like this is the lived experience of two of of too many people just did not jive with the message coming out of. The experts, right? Well, if, okay, so if it was, if the indicators were there and, and it would have been possible to take the foot off the, the throats at some point sooner than it actually was. Your words, not mine. Um, no, I chose them deliberately. <laughs> um, then, it, then it should have been done. And I, I can see, and, I, and I'm not seeking to be an apologist for any such behavior. I, I, I don't think it's authority for authority's sake. Maybe ego's involved. But just the challenge of leading people, especially, I can imagine someone. Well, and, and then at the beginning of the pandemic, um, prior to the pandemic, uh, the, it was the CDC's guidance for pandemic, the, the stuff that had been cooked up by the precursors to Fauci, right? Like, mm-hmm. in case of pandemic, in your messaging, don't lie because you'll lose credibility. Right. What's the first thing Fauci said? Oh, we don't need masks. Yeah. When he thought, when he yeah. thought we did. Yeah. Because and that really didn't help. The flip flopping on a lot of messages really didn't help. Because he was worried about people going out scooping up masks and there wouldn't be any available for for medical staff. Okay, right. So the first, the very, almost literally, the first message was was a lie. Okay, right, and intentionally so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he admitted like, yeah, we we lied because we wanted. Okay, to but the this. intent. What's was that? a fair one. Hang on. There's some... If it was to prevent about, but the mask, so The guidance it, that had were, been cooked up in, in, uh, by the CDC, uh, recommendations for a pandemic that had been cooked up based on experience from the Spanish flu and the Hong Kong flu in the 60s. Isn't there something was, about a road to hell being don't, paved with something? Oh, yeah. 
I don't I can't remember. But the, the guidance said, and based on the on experiences of previous pandemics, which hadn't been as severe as COVID, well, except for Spanish flu, that was pretty bad, yeah. uh, was don't lie. Yeah. Never no, lie. No, I, ne- I not lie. Never lie. Just, right? saying, and the first thing they did was lie. If yeah. he did it, well, okay, so you should have said, okay, we're going to need masks, but we need them for the medical but they, staff Yeah, first. it would have been a lot better. They, yeah, they did, but they never better. tried. They just assumed yeah. there's going to be a run on masks. Yeah. They just assumed okay, the a, worst of the people, okay. and 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 okay. oh yeah, just now in the their defense was the this was this pre or post toilet paper? Like after anyone, everyone had done the run on toilet paper. I don't know, right? It, the, the, the run on toilet paper, people. The run on toilet paper was not as crazy as people thought. No, if you're not going to get any more toilet paper, how do you clean your ass? Yes, and and to be honest. Uh, I, I got a lot of sympathy for that because elimination, defecation is an incredibly personal and private thing. Mm-hmm. It's also risky. Yeah. In and terms it's, of... It's, it's scary. Like when you, when you think of, of being in that situation, um, how many people are deadly, deadly, deadly afraid of a situation where they get into a public bathroom stall, begin their bowel and movement no and paper. realize there's no toilet paper? For a lot of people, that's a terrifying. What kind terrifying of psychopath uses a toilet, a public toilet for defecation? You know, like that's just. <laughs> Someone, like, well, you know, if you gotta go, buddy, you gotta go. If you got irritable bowels, I want ten million long haul truck drivers, asshole. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> I, you gotta I, go. You gotta go. I can probably count on both my hands. Well, you've been the very number fortunate. of times I have shit in a public. Wall. You want to know? This is bowel privilege. It is. It is. <laughs> First world fucking problem. Yeah. So yeah, well, look. Um, wait, if, okay. I go, if I go on the road for three days, yeah. Like, okay. You gotta go. You gotta go. All so right. like, this is what I'm saying. Like, I get, I get that there was a run on toilet paper when there wasn't a run on cosmetics. When there wasn't a run on toothpaste. Yeah. When there wasn't a run on, uh, say, like any other, like soap. We didn't have a run on soap. Okay. But so, I can see why there was a run. I, I'm just paper. saying. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it could have been handled better. Yeah. Right? I'm, a, you know, specific to one of the great. The first thing come out of your li- yeah. mouth is a lie. Okay. Yeah. Bad call. Bad fucking call. Bad right. call. Uh, especially in this day and age. I, I will say, and again, I'm not trying to be an apologist for it, but I can easily see, like, okay, we've opened this can of worms, mm-hmm. we've set forth this ball of hysteria, right? Um, you know, we, we can't have some clowns coming along and trying to create a moderate line. You know, like mm-hmm. we, we got to ride this out, you know, because otherwise we're not going to be able to keep control on people. If we admit that we were wrong, yep. then people are... So, ego-based, poor judgment, right? And it is their job to maintain control, right? You know, like if, if the sense is that people are just going to fucking freak out and then whatever. So again... Possibly poorly handled, you know. Possibly, yeah. Okay. I mean, those those are the times we live in, okay. right? You know, leadership ain't exactly dripping out of people's ears these days. <laughs> it's not growing on the trees, um, and, and neither is, frankly, responsiveness to leadership, except in the worst possible ways, right? I mean, the only positive inspiration of leadership i can think of right now is Zelensky, right um there ain't no one else on the planet right now who's who's 
of that stature, yeah. Yeah. You know, well, and anyone who's got that much influence on people is generally a populist right now, and it's just ugly. Do you see... I don't want to get sidetracked here, but I, I get the sense that you see populism as an inherently negative thing. I do. Why? I think it appeals to the worst in people. Everything we've talked about, even today, yeah. right? The basest, ugliest things in people. What you were talking about when it's... it's as How do you teenagers? define populism? It's well, I th- I, I find anti-intellectualism is a big part of it. Uh, okay. National chauvinism is a big part of it. Racial, ethnic, um, cultural chauvinism is a big part of but it. Can't someone be a populist and be none of those things? For example, Bernie Sanders. You think of him as a populist? I absolutely yeah. yes, but this is obviously because um, which I'll share in a moment. My concept of populism is is very different. Interesting. Like to me, populism is someone who is uh, focusing on an issue which resonates with the electorate, but is considered beyond the pale by the political establishment by the political establishment of that given jurisdiction. Interesting. So, for example, Bernie Sanders was the only guy who was really willing to go to bat for 100% publicly funded health care. In other words, the Canadian model. Mm-hmm. Nobody else in the Democratic Party was willing to go that far. Like they thought, that's too much change, too fast. I don't want to go that far. Sanders said, no, I think there's an appetite for it. I'm going to start talking about that. Mm-hmm. Even though that was, again, too far for the Democratic Party establishment. So I would say... Bernie Sanders was a left-wing populist. Here, here's a so question. So I don't see populism as inherently negative. I have a question. Sure. That definition, is especially the part of, of going against the... Uh, uh, the, the poli- I guess political Falling orthodoxy. outside yeah. the political yeah. mainstream. The, the political yeah, mainstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, When Chamberlain resigned and Churchill took over, was Churchill a populist at the time? I don't know. I don't know enough about the public mood in the UK at the time. I he oh. might have been, but was was the political establishment I, I think very it, much against a firm line? It seemed. Hitler? It's. I, I, I think so. He may yeah, well. I, have been. I, I think Chamberlain's attitude coming out of Munich was kind of the mainstream. It was probably what Whitehall wanted, probably within, you know, within oh, the government. But you know Churchill, Churchill was definitely the kind. Yeah. The contrarian at the time, right? He might have been. Oh, he, he, he was very always much a contrarian. He was a contrarian yeah. in the first war. He was a professional yeah. contrarian, but... Uh, he was because, contrarian. yeah, as, as I recall, the mood of the foreign office, the mood of most of the House, if I'm not mistaken, was to avoid... And, and, and the movers and the shakers of, say, the, the, the business... Uh, captains of industry, ac- academia, like like people who do have the ears of elected government. Um, just judging from what I know of history in general, they were very much of the school avoid war at any cost. Yeah. Like they were so scarred by the experience of the First World War. They were to avoid war at any cost. And if that meant appeasement, they were willing to do that. So I would say in this context, yes, Churchill was a populist. Because, because as I, I think recall, his, his ascension was pretty popular. As I the, recall, uh, Chamberlain was reviled by the electorate, yeah, because of what he did, like the the whole idea of peace in our time, mm-hmm. um, and then it fell apart. And th- yeah, and 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 totally sold the checks down the river. 
that did not sell with uh, the the British public. Well, no, if, to, to the if extent memory serves. To the extent that he he was he died within months of that. Yeah, I mean, he was dead. I mean, if he was nine thirty nine in nineteen forty for sure. Yeah, he Is was that, he was a broken man. Yeah, he he died. Like, I thought he lasted longer because because like no, I'm, he kept his I'll seat and, and Churchill didn't kick him out of cabinet or anything like that. And, and my understanding is he and Churchill remained actually fairly. Are you looking that up, or shall I look? No, it up? I will you can look go, that you can up. Go look it up. I, I don't know why I picked up the phone to look at that when I got a computer right here. Yeah, anyway, you go on. I will look that up. But uh, yeah, has, if I recall, I don't remember him. I don't think he died that that. He might have died during the war, but I don't think he died right after was, that. I thought it was 1940. But he died November 9th, 1940. Oh, there you go. So he lasted a year. So he was oh not even. Um, he was leader. He was prime minister until May 1940 and leader of the Conservative Party until October 1940. He passed away 9 November 1940. Oh, wow. Okay, so he was was PM until the fall of France then. You said he was Prime Minister? Spring of 1940. May of 1940. So he was there through the fall of France. According to this article. Churchill only stepped in. Chamberlain announced the declaration of war on Germany two days... uh, Yes, September 3rd. Two days following the German invasion and led the United Kingdom through the first eight months of the war until his resignation as Prime Minister on 10 May. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. So I, I don't know. It, it's, so you've asked a question now that we've moved the goalposts on the definition of populism once. Mm-hmm. Throwing Churchill in there, I think... We're not, we're not moving the goal, goalposts. Second, so we're trying to... Trying well, to no. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not saying there's any any malice in, involved here. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, just trying to come up with the definition. Um, would he be a populist? I mean, he was certainly outside the mainstream. Yeah. And he certainly had the flair for leadership of his people. No one else could have led them and not surrendered. Yeah. Um, no question. Yeah. I'm just saying that this is how I define populism. is just someone who wants to talk about something that... Two conditions have to be met. Number one, it must be outside the, the political orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Not just mainstream, but the orthodoxy of the established uh, yeah. political mainstream. And number two, it must resonate with the public. So I, what I wonder about, I would say he wasn't the populist coming into it. Because he wouldn't have resonated with the people yet. It was only once he became prime minister and started leading them through the darkest years of the war that he became a populist. If that's the definition of populist we're using, and I'm forced to uh, remove 100% negative connotations from the term populist. Yeah, I, I, don't, I just don't think populism by itself is necessarily a... Yeah, I don't think uh, by itself a purely is a negative thing. thing. Yeah. I mean, you can, you, can, you can argue, certainly for argue for its negativity in the guise of Donald Trump or someone like that, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it can certainly, yeah, exactly. It can be negative, it can be positive. It's, it's, it's probably a, like a neutral, a yeah, neutral force. Yeah, I think it's kind of neither Or an agnostic right. force, right? He died of bowel cancer. Oh. So he probably was terminal for some time. Yeah, probably. Due to wartime security concerns. Oh, no, that's his funeral. Okay. Not whether or not the, the diagnosis. Hmm. Interesting. Going back to COVID numbers here, just 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 as an aside. Yeah. This number for Pakistan, that's got a hundred percent be bullshit. Well, I think like you look at Pakistan, you look also look at Bangladesh's numbers. 
They're extremely low. Oh, look at Vietnam. Uh, Bangladesh, I, I get because yeah. Bangladesh is an island. And and no, no, no. it's not. No, oh, no, sorry, I'm thinking yeah. Sri Lanka. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Bangladesh also, is East Pakistan. Uh, Africa's, Africa's numbers are very low. Yeah. I think there are two reasons for that. Um, those countries tend to have a much lower or a much younger population. Yeah, much younger population. The other thing is their ability to track is much lower. Yeah. I mean, for the vast majority, I think, of the COVID cases in Africa and uh, Asia, it was they thought you just had the flu. Yeah, I don't know. Like I their just, ability to test and pa- confirm. But they pa- may have suspected much higher numbers, yeah. but their ability to test would have been very, very, very low. Yeah, like their testing isn't the lowest. But I just, I don't know, that number seems suspiciously low to me, given their density and their... And their yeah, their, you'd think, right? Like living in, in, in their high-density cities. But their ability to actually confirm whether... I mean, I, I bet you if you had a stat for suspected number of cases, yeah. it'd probably be on par with everybody else. But their ability to actually nail it down and say, yeah, we can say without any doubt, we can say hard, concrete numbers, yes, with a capital Y... Well, yeah, their ability to do that is going to be very constrained. Very constrained. Interesting. It's not well, a case of, like, say, China's numbers where you just don't believe them because you just, you don't believe them. they're not a good actor. It's uh, a case where you got to say, well, look, I, I don't think they had the ability to collect uh, reliable, accurate information, so you can't really hold that against them. Yeah, Egypt's numbers are really low, too. Yeah, and again, oh, that's... China's numbers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, we're trying to number yeah, two. Right yeah, now. that's yeah. China's numbers. The, the place where the, the, place yeah. where the disease originated. Oh, yeah, yeah no, we're the lowest of everybody in the politically world. Politically contrived bullshit. Whereas a place like Egypt or like Oman or Zambia, like, okay. Like, you know, like I can understand yeah. Kenya, yeah. Kenya being that low, being Cut in line with Pakistan, slack. its population yeah. density is so yeah, low. Yeah, so low, very young. And their ability to actually probably bring in tests to their rural yeah. population was probably very, very, very limited. So, yeah. you know, you can't hold that against them. But in the frontier of, of how... Oh, something else has changed. Like when we talk about like the, the anti-intellectual backlash, what changed with COVID and is continuing with, with global warming is that in, say, the age of, say, the, you know, like Bush 1, Bush 2, the 90s, earlier, this sort of thing. Yeah, there were experts and intellectuals and they were saying their stuff but they didn't have the ability to impose those opinions on the population. That changed with COVID. And that's changing with global warming. In that governments are listening to these experts and imposing these policies on the common people. And it's causing them harm. And this is where, you know, you're, this is part of, of, of the, the, the conflict. And that, you know, if, a, if some academic, some intellectual wants to say, this is my opinion. Okay, fine. That's your opinion. But when they start saying, I'm going to make you live according to my opinion. Now we've got a problem, especially when the effect is not benign. Now we've got a problem. You know, you're measuring the effect. And we, we had this conversation about the mythical asteroid. Yep. You know, yep. heading for the earth, right? Yep. What do we do about that? Like, yeah. You know, who gives a shit about anybody's job now? But, because but what if, it's going to be irrelevant. The, what if we don't know if the hours? asteroid really exists? What if you got some guys who say the asteroid's out there and it's coming? And then you get other guys who say, no, there is no asteroid out there. Uh, okay, let's, let's. Or, yeah, there's an asteroid out there, but it's the size of a snowball. 
Okay. Let's take it as givens that A okay. is the size of a football stadium. We can't. We can't. Yeah. And it does exist. Again, that's... Okay, if it was that situation and it was understandable to all, we would be having this, this, this discussion. But the fact that it's not a football stadium... Like there's like the, the, the preconditions you're supposing. I think a football stadium sized asteroid is actually pretty easy to deal with. It might be. But that's that's not like this is the the crooks of the matter is that we can't say with certainty that it's a real and pressing threat, uh, every bit as dangerous as the experts are saying. Or some of the experts, not all the experts. Okay. John Christie, that's the name of the guy I was thinking of. Alabama? From University of Alabama, Huntsville, who is the leading authority. He, I can't remember the name of his research partner, and I should because they're they're equal collaborators. Well, he's going to be um, pissed at you. Yeah, he should be, you know, because uh, it's my fault for not remembering or should, his name. This, this will get back to him, obviously. Oh, yeah. The guys who... Uh, Before I even upload it. Yeah. You remember Chrissy's name? You yeah. can remember mine? Yeah. Uh, so, like, their data um, from the satellites saying that yeah, it's, there's been essentially no real warming since the turn of the century. And, and of course, this was the whole point of the climate gate scandal uh, coming out of um, University of East Anglia yeah. and the Climactic Research Unit um, saying that, you know, we got a way to, like the phrase, hide the decline. In the, in the emails, Michael Mann was one of the guys. Um, the, the head of uh, the CRU at the time resigned. Yeah, uh, and as a result of the scandal, he was about the only one, though. But because yeah, it's true, there wasn't a lot of accountability most, to come yeah, out of that scandal. Most of them doubled down, like Michael Mann. Yeah, but again, this is part of the problem in that you've got researchers like uh, and and uh, titans in their field, like Richard Linson, Judith Curry, um, uh, William Happner, who are all saying that uh, either they're saying like the warming is of such a small amount that this is not an existential crisis. And the things that we are doing, mirroring COVID, the mitigation measures we're taking are going to cause more harm than if we had done nothing. And so that's why you can't take it as a given that, yeah, the asteroids real end is coming. We have to, for that, uh, uh, that comparison to be complete, we'd have to say, we don't know if the asteroid is really coming. Okay. Or there's Let, not enough agreement as to whether or not the asteroid okay. is. Have you guys seen the movie Don't Look Up? Uh, no. Yeah, no. I've but seen I, parts of it. But, but I've, seen, actually, yeah, I've seen enough clips of it to know what the story it got is. Yeah. Well, just we're talking, basically we're talking about the plot of it here. It, so. yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's basically the movie is kind of taking your idea. and, and It got uh, so annoying to watch yeah. after a while. I was like, ugh. I didn't mind it. I watched. I was able to sit. Through I, the whole I, I yeah. couldn't sit through the whole but, thing. But, but it was definitely it was, preachy. It was definitely preachy. Yeah. And that was just it. It was like so annoyingly so it's like yeah i get it it's very condescending you're the good yeah. guy yeah she's the bad guy yeah, yeah. like ridiculously like two-dimensionally so yeah so, everything yeah, there was there was know. no well-developed character yeah. characters yeah. in it at all um let me rephrase the question then like what about the hypothetical when <clears throat> the asteroid is coming uh or the pandemic is real and we don't listen to the experts, right? And the reason I'm asking this is, okay, how do we 
properly gauge accurately uh, an extinction level event without at least some trust in experts, right? Like someone's got to tell us that the asteroid is coming. And, and if our knee-jerk reaction is off, you know, A, I don't want to hear this message, and B, he's an egghead and I don't believe experts anymore. Because we would need those experts, those initial forecasters, mm -hmm. to be correct about their initial first-stage predictions. That would have to happen. And in the case of COVID, it didn't. Like, for example, we all know about the Imperial College study that said we were going to be drowning in bodies in the first 90 days. And, of course, mm -hmm. this, was, this was the, the, the um, what was his name? Um, uh, help me out. Who was the, he was a British guy. The Ian Ferguson. Oh. I think it was. Anyway, he was, he was the, the researcher. Who is known for hyperbole? Like, mm -hmm. when we look at his track record, you know, he is known for making really crazy, yeah. radical predictions. Uh, but he was the, the main, the primary author behind the Imperial College study that was really doom and gloom, which inspired a lot of our initial reaction to it. Like with global warming, if the initial projections that were made in the 1990s had actually come to pass, mm -hmm. then I think, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the debate that we do now. The fact that, again, like COVID, they weren't just wrong. They were completely wrong. Like, they weren't even within a cab ride of being true. You had guys like uh, uh, Hansen talking about how Manhattan was going to be under, like, the first five blocks of Manhattan were going to be underwater by 2018. Uh, how uh, the glaciers on the Himalayas were going to be gone. Um, how they had to change the science in Glacier National Park because the ones that they made 20, uh, 25 years ago, the visitors' uh, information signs, we're predicting that the glaciers were going to be gone by around 2020. And they go, oh, geez, we better change that because they, they weren't gone. Um, if those initial predictions had been more, had been less hyperbolic, mm -hmm. if they had been more uh, accurate, then I think there would be much better buy-in. Well, yeah, I mean, on and, the one hand... And they lied. There was, there was, before you, before I let you reply, we now know that John Hansen, is his first name John? From uh, Goddard? Uh, yes. Robert, yes, that, Robert that, isn't that, it? That, that fellow, anyway, I don't, James, James Hansen. James Hansen, James sorry, Hansen. Robert. Yes. If he worked in pharmaceuticals and, and had fraudulent data and manipulated data sets like that, if he worked in like medications, he'd be in jail. He would be in jail. For the like, it's only because he worked in a theoretical uh, scientific bodies in the public sector all his life that that guy never faced public prosecution for the amount of fraudulent data he published, mm -hmm. how he manipulated fact sets. Like it's 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 shocking what that guy did. Um, that, I mean that was a huge part of it. Uh, people don't like it when public officials lie for the sake of an agenda. That was also a huge factor. Like we talked about with Fauci, you know, how he really shot himself in the foot by lying right out of, right right out out of the, the hack. Well, so did a lot of the global warming um, advocates. But they lied in the 1990s. And it, it, if, if we take the presupposition that, yeah, this is a real crisis, and it does take real and serious measures, we're, they're totally undermined yeah, by, by those mistakes that were made 30 years ago.
what's the point in lying about climate change you know in the 1990s like what, what what's what you're just looking to fuck over the petroleum industry or? no no because climate change i think was seen by a lot of uh, a lot of people like say for example commentators like uh, uh, david suzuki mm-hmm. has been pretty candid on this saying that for the um, and uh, naomi klein climate change is a way to get to a better world in that a world without capitalism a world without uh, private property a world with a more equitable like in their view uh, a more equitable just uh, system climate change is a way we can achieve that and uh, if that means maybe we have to be a little cavalier with the facts in terms of the science of the climate then that's a price that they are willing to pay they have not been quoted as saying this I, I'm going to find you a couple of quotes because there are guys who have said that. Now, I don't know if they were, um, all of them were men of science or some of them were related science, like like um, Suzuki, who's a geneticist. He's not an atmospheric uh, fellow. But he's, he's said statements to in that neighborhood kind of thing. I'm just going to do a quick search. Is it okay to lie about climate change? And then I will let, while I'm looking that up, I'll let you guys have the floor. I've had enough floor, I think, for tonight. <laughs> it's been a lot of floor. We're going to, this thing is going to be, by the time yeah. we put the two clips together, it's going to be almost three and a half hours. That's well, we can, we can easily split it. We can easily split it into, into two. That's a good point. But that doesn't mean we're not coming well, back the, in two weeks, folks. Yeah, yeah right. I, have to, I would have to edit it somewhere in the middle of the second one because we start to talk. When we came back for the second, the second uh, stint, we started. We, we, we went back to Big Hammy. We went back to Big Hammy in the Ram. The Ram. The Ram. Yeah, but it wasn't too far after that when yeah. you. Uh, okay. We wait with bated breath. Ah, uh, I'm not. Right. I used wrong search engine. But anyway. Homework anyway. for next time. Yeah, I guess. But I, again, I think Don't that, Bing. that does. No, I'm using DuckDuckGo, <laughs> um, which is an imperfect search engine. But I think that's, that's part of it in that people had, guys like James Hansen, yeah, they had a, a more noble, in their mind, a more noble cause. Like they're looking for a better society. And if that means maybe, you know, maybe you are maybe emitting certain things or maybe you're massaging the data a little bit, which he most certainly did for the purpose of what climate mitigation policies could achieve in the long run. Hmm. Like the, and Naomi Klein has absolutely said that what climate change is really about is getting rid of capitalism. Um, uh, Greta Thunberg has said this quite recently that we need to rethink society that we're never going to beat climate change until we get rid of capitalism that you know really climate change is just one part of a broader societal goal like the whole build back better the whole um, another way it is expressed is uh, the great reset yes Um, that this is just Really, in the big cosmic scheme of things, it's a means to an end. So, so yeah, they so do let me have. Get this straight. <clears throat> you're, right. you're speaking about uh, the abolition of capitalism like it's a bad thing. Yes, 
But to them, it's a good thing. The other, the other side of it, just and being this clear. Is, yeah, just nailing that down. The other side of it, um, and when we go back to the problem with experts maybe being wrong, is that let's say my, my field is biology and I study, um, and I study say, uh, smaller uh, life forms, say like amph- amphibious life forms and insect life forms in the boreal forest. Hmm. And I'm trying to run a lab, like Steve's my colleague here, we've got a lab and we're on a shoestring uh, budget uh, in some, you know, like say a, a moderate side, like University of Lethbridge. Like we're not part of a great big massive institution. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have to really watch our pennies. Uh, we have four employees who we have worked with and consider as colleagues for the last 20 years, whose jobs and mortgages are dependent upon our lab staying open. We have four graduate students. The turnover is every four years, mm-hmm. but still we want these students need our lab in order to finish their theses. So mm-hmm. we're affecting their, their future careers. So we need to keep this thing open and we're competing for funding. Unfortunately, there is only one source of funding. All scientific research is ultimately paid for by the government. I mean, unless you're in a very, very narrow field of chemistry mm-hmm. or pharmaceuticals, all, engineer, all, all research in this field comes from, it, it's a government monopoly. So if I'm going to get funding, I'm, if I'm going to ask, say, look, we want, to, we want to do a study on how does sunlight penetrating the, uh, the forest canopy affect life down at, say, ground level? I'm not going to get a lot of funding for that. But if I produce a study that says, hey, I want, hey, government of Canada, I want money to study how climate change negatively affects the life on the ground. If I say I want to determine whether or not it has a negative effect, I'm not, no, I'm, I might not get money. If I say I want to see, like as my preconceived uh, conclusion, that climate change is real, it is negative, and it's going to have a negative effect on, on uh, the biome on the forest floor, I'm going to get funding. Hmm. So I have, uh, I have an interest in promoting this narrative. And when you look at the history of science, since basically the professionalization of science, the, 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 the government monopoly on science since about 1890, you see this over and over again, where an orthodoxy comes into play because it meets the preconceived notion of the government bureaucrats writing the checks. And in order to protect their own financial uh, situation, academics must buy into that narrative and they hope that like maybe their real interest is understanding just how organisms on the forest floor live we're going to try and eke that out as a byproduct of the greater study so i ask for a hundred thousand dollars to study climate change i'm going to use fifteen thousand dollars of that to actually really look at what i want to know Unfortunately, the other 85,000 is going to have to go to produce some kind of claptrap on climate change because that's the cost of doing business. Mm. So that is another reason why, like see, why would you falsify data? Why would you, why would you go to all this effort to produce a finding on something that you yourself are not entirely convinced of? Well, because that's what's going to keep my lab open. It's going to keep my colleagues employed. That's what's going to allow my four graduate students to, to you know, finish their PhDs. All right. Well, I'm going to take what you said 
I'm going to cogitate on it. Okay. I'm not necessarily going to walk back in here wearing a tinfoil hat next time we get together. Suede is open, though. In answer to Steve's question, I don't think we've come close to answering whether or not we should listen to experts. I think, actually, that the answer to that question, as we've discussed it, is how to define the parameters of how and when to have the discussion that we bring the experts in to and for. All and right. also, yeah, yep, yeah, I'm happy with it. Well, considering we didn't know what we were going to talk about when we got here. We found a lot oh, to talk yeah, about. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> yep, we covered some ground. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Cheers. Bye. Yeah.